Good morning, Internet. Welcome to Life in Crazy Town. It's still another day in paradise. I don't know. America? The planet? Where do you live and do you really want to be here? Or are you realizing that those life is good bumper stickers don't work for everybody quite the same way? Or... Have you learned the secret of contentment and realized that it is pretty good after all while we wait for our Lord's return? Yeah, welcome. Welcome back. I'm the Mad Christian, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. This morning, we got your questions and answers from the scripture, and as best as I can manage communicating it to you, sending you off to do your own research to get into the scriptures yourselves and find that they regenerate you in your mind. So good to have you along with me. A little bit of a late start because of, can I just say, network hub, not hubbing, and... uh uh, Henge Docs has a new hub that should be out in October. I am eagerly awaiting. It is, uh, that is a, a story you probably, well, some of you may care a great deal about, but you probably don't care about it as much as what I'm going to say next. Now, bear with me. I, I am no scholar, but this is, this is for you. I'm going to speak in tongues this morning live on the internet. Batach al Yahweh. Bakali livda. Ail binasda. I'll teach I aim. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. To know the benevolence of God toward you is to build your castle on a firm foundation. The Proverbs have been so good to me. Uh, we got a comment coming up uh, this morning about your homework, and so maybe I'll save my thought on the value of smart noting Proverbs every day in your life and how it will revolutionize the way that your worldview kind of just looks, right? It's, it's a... <laughs> it's a snoop detector, right? Uh, you can tell when someone is lying because the Proverbs tell you liars do this kind of stuff, right? Uh, it's an amazing thing for guarding your heart and mind, but it's not really just about knowing that there's a liar there, right? It's better than that. It's about being a truth teller yourself. So maybe we'll come back on that with the homework from earlier. I guess I don't otherwise have an opening monologue for you. I mean, I kind of pulled the plug just a tad on, on Twitter this week. Um, I still think I know what's going on, which is all the same stuff that's going going on, which is not going to stop going on until Biden becomes president, or at least that's what Biden has told us. And I, I'm pretty confident that people who don't like what's going on are not so confident that that's necessarily going to fix it in the long run, right? And so there's that kind of struggle and turmoil going on within this so-called republic about how we ought to vote by mail through computers where it's totally not able to be manipulated and uh, and find out who gets to be the next king of the world. Um, we, we put a lot of energy into that, right? And rightly so, because if you care about your small business, if you care about your job at all, as we're going to see again in some of the comments this morning, uh, it's a hard time to be a Christian, uh, and it's a scary time to be a Christian, I suppose. Uh, it's a scary time. All times are perhaps scary times. And, and, and Christians have a different kind of fear. But that said, you know, you look around and you pay attention. It's like, what the? You know, a little while ago, we were arguing over like the Teletubbies, right? And <laughs> and now we got people calling for, uh, well, what? I mean, uh, I saw one picture at least that they're chopping Trump's head off. And I don't, I don't care how bad a person he might be uh, in terms of uh, within the, I mean, unless he's hit, they think he's Hitler. They really do. They think he's Hitler. I guess if he's Hitler, I can understand that. But, but at some point, Where's the reason gone in all of this? Um, we're just we're just a mob, and that's that's the scary thing for a lot of people. I think that's going to be the driving thing for most voters, no matter who they're voting for. I think they think they want the mobs to stop being mobs. I'm pretty sure that's the goal we all have, and so I hope you're with me on that one. 
Yeah, unless you are unless you're one of those evil people who in fact knows how to manipulate and use a mob and then I guess I'm your enemy. So, um but God's on my side, not yours, so I'm not too worried about it. I, that all being said, right? You know, I I pulled the plug a little bit this week. Cuz we're going to talk a little bit more uh, from one of your questions about a movie called The Matrix. And I'm I'm increasingly trying to be what I believe that movie can teach Christians we ought to be in the present age. And and I will I will explain that again in a little bit. So we started late. I don't want to get in too fast. I don't actually have that much to say except for what you're going to give me to say in a few moments. So we'll just go ahead and see if I can remember how to take a one-minute break. And we'll be back with your questions and uh, hopefully God's answers. Wrong. All right. Here we go with uh, right out of the gates. A hot one. A hot one. Uh, I recently endured a two-hour brainwashing training session on the care of LG. Uh, LGBTQ youth at the pediatric hospital where I work as a nurse. I mean, just just let everyone just kind of think about that. I mean, I, if you don't have a reference point for what that means, it's like those are interesting words that have far-reaching implications. Okay. Um, now, Beth is saying that this is evil, and I think I'm right there with her. It was purely demonic. Do you mean it? I do. <laughs> uh, it's purely demonic and as an extreme as any institution could possibly be at this point in history. Have you read C.S. Lewis, That Hideous Strength? If you have not, you must. I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening. I'm just saying, wow. Um, so it's a, it's a cosmic horror story written by a Christian from in the 40s, right? The 30s. Uh, and you're, you're talking like it's a real thing. And I, I think maybe it is. Anyway, I'll just leave that as your homework. And instead, go with your question. You know, So you're watching this uh, brainwashing session uh, at a pediatric hospital where they're telling you how to care for LGBTQ youth defined as a certain age in theory, right? Um, and uh, as someone who knows, continue your, your comment, as someone who knows the truth and is horrified that my hospital is harming children's bodies and souls in the name of affirmation. So to, to fill in the blank here for you, what you are suggesting, and I think I would agree with you, is that generally people who are have uh, some sort of uh, um, uh, emotional, spiritual, traumatic experience that leads them to despise their physical body in some way, whether it's by wanting to cut off their arm or wanting to cut off some other part of their body um, or just not believing their body is them anymore as a way of handling childhood trauma, which we all have various kinds of childhood trauma. So I'm not trying to say (laughs) – I'm not pointing fingers here on anybody. Um, (laughs) uh, But – that, that when, when science is allowed to talk on this and you see that, you know, someone says, I'm going to feel better if I cut my hand off. I'm going to feel better if I cut my hand off. And you go, okay, fine, cut your hand off. He does not feel better. It does not fix the problem. He wants to cut his arm off next. So, um, to do this to children who are being manipulated by a large political scheme just for the sake of certain agendas that really have nothing to do with sexuality and a lot more to do with the global hegemony and money and how all that works so the nobility can stay in power. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they exist. Real people with money exist somewhere and they push buttons and they say we're going to be political in this way i mean there did you follow the kenosha stuff did you follow the kenosha pd stuff i did follow that one where the pd releases this uh, they, they caught like uh, a group of three or four vehicles loaded up with various types of riot gear and whatnot headed toward kenosha uh, all from out of state right um like that's intense stuff going on right there that's not just all accidental anyway so yeah to believe that there is there is a grand evil 
namely the devil himself, who is moving civilization so as to drive harm onto the least of these among us. This should not surprise us either as Christians. It's what he's always been doing. He is always trying to convince the pagans to kill their own children, that, and he's trying to convince them to stop having children by any cost. Why would he do that? Well, to prevent the Christ from coming would be one. Now that Christ has come, just to prevent as many people as possible from finding the Christ, which again would be pure malice. But then again, well, that's Paralandra, the book before that he did his strength. And I really do recommend those as, as spiritual, spiritual guides for, for living in these days. I mean, they're, they're soft apologetics, if you're familiar with that term, but um, yeah, you, you get a lot out of that. So, okay, so, 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 continuing on, because you've you got a real question here still, right? Uh, if I put the position, so you don't want to do the chemical damage to these children, uh, analogous to the cutting off the arm thing, right? So, uh, for someone who wants to uh, trans, uh, they they don't cut off your arm necessarily, right? But they give you hormones, and then the question is, how healthy are these hormones over time? Especially in longitudinal studies where they take a, you know, generations, and we haven't done any of that kind of work, right? We're just going to pile this into children. We know that the reason you're not supposed to eat certain kinds of foods at various times because they can impact your hormones. Like it's a very delicate thing. You can buy hormones as supplements these days anyway, and just pop them like candy, and that's a little bit dangerous if you think about what your thyroid is. That's all interesting, right? And you, as a doctor who have way more knowledge of that than I do, say, I don't want to inoculate or inject. It's not inoculate. It's the wrong word. I don't want to inject uh, these young individuals who are not done with their mental growth patterns and their physical growth patterns with chemicals that we know will will derail the organic and evolutionary course, if I can even say it that way, right? Um, I mean, think about it. Evolution's on your side on, on this matter. Uh, and uh, and they don't know that. It's amazing that they don't know that or they don't see that. They're against their own religion in some ways. In any case, so... Uh, if, well, the devil doesn't care. You gotta remember that. He doesn't care. As long as this group and this group don't actually talk about their differences, which are quite demonic, uh, uh, and they're focused on killing the, the truth, uh, then they will be just fine, right? They only turn on each other, uh, when they think they can get power over each other. In any case, uh, continuing on, you're caught in the middle of it because the industry in which you've given your life to serve people has, has turned into the battlefield for this stuff. Um, so, if put the uh, uh, if put the position, I think you mean in the position where I would be required to administer cross sex hormones to a patient, I would have to refuse. Well, God bless you, right? Stand upon your convictions. That's a wonderful thing, right? And uh, I, I think we've talked here before about how it is not the place of us pastors or Christians to pro- to prescribe at the lowest, most narrow detail your conscience's decision. Now, this one's getting awful closer, right? Because you also we can do that when we have a clear word from God of the matter. The trick is when you get into the gray and the fuzzy. So, you know, a Christian who disagrees with you about the effects of the the hormones, or someone who says the hormones will not have negative impacts whatsoever, there is no way, I've read the science on this and I believe this, right? Okay, well, and that person's a Christian, right? So now we're at a place where we have diversity of how to handle it, and that's where I want to encourage you, right? Not just dissuade you, encourage you that your conscience reigns in this situation. You and the Word of God, when you've got to say yes or no to the demons, <laughs> you do what your conscience says is with God. <laughs> and if someone's standing there and he's got a clear call and he's saying, no, go with the demons. Like, no, you do not go with the demons. So <laughs> it's just not what you do. So, so God bless you. God bless you. All right, and that more that that we would all take these stands in minor ways throughout our days than just point fingers at how it ought to be done by other people, uh, or how terrible it is, or how we need to win court battles about it. I think if we had in our lives a little more of this. Uh, what would you call it? Hutzpah, um, grit, uh, uh, rage, um, <laughs> the the good kind, uh, the happy kind, the alleluia kind. Uh, if we had a little more of that, just in our in our conversations, maybe over the last twenty years, we wouldn't have quite fallen. 
uh, to this point. Yeah, uh, is the word of God on our lips? Then then why should we expect the life around us to be not the way it is? I, I can only ask that like again and again, and I really just should just say that for the next hour. If the word of God is not the thing coming out of our mouths, translated, right? I'm not saying you got to verbatim quote it every sentence, right? You know, I mean, people do. People talk in movie quotes. I mean, for pity's sakes. And it's kind of fun. I get it. Well, okay. Try with the Bible sometime, right? If, but more than that, if the word of God is not the thing that is making you talk, just in general. Oh, look, I read this today. It says this. It's really amazing. Look how this and that. Oh, Jesus, right? And literally, like, oh, Jesus, because it's true. Thank you, Jesus, for what he gave you. If somehow that's not your conversation, you're like, my life's really not working so good. I don't know why it's all happening this way. Why? Well, I don't understand. God must hate what we... What, what do you want him to do? You know, here he is, like he's given you everything on a platter to believe that will indeed soothe your spirit through the fires of this age, which he said, yeah, it's going to all burn. Get ready. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but like, like, like the word is honey in the comb uh, for the spirit. So, so if you're not even dipping into that, I mean, just, just don't raise your fist at the sky too hard yet, right? Uh, maybe get on your knees a touch, uh, open a book or two in the Bible and ask, what does this mean, right? And see then if, if that going into what God says to you as your father doesn't become what you say to those around you. Uh, and, and when that happens, again, it, it changes who we are. And I'm off on a tangent here, but it's because we're where we are because of how long we haven't done this. We just have to know that. We have been, uh, the LCMS is where, I, where I'm a pastor is accused of being quietist. And I'm going to say, yeah, I think so. And, and and all of you out there in evangelical land are like, well, we've been fighting the culture war. I'm, I'm not so sure you have. I'm not so sure you have. Not the right one. Uh, not the culture war of no matter what the world does, no matter what sells, we will do what the scripture saith. I, I'm just not convinced that's been the agenda the last hundred years, Methodism. I, I'm sorry. So, so you'll have to, you have to beg me on that one, right? We'll have to, we'll have to come together and reconcile. But I'm going to say on my part, we, we have failed by not speaking. And it goes all the way down to our roots, people, that we just don't have it come out of our mouths. I know they tried. I, I, I remember the resources where they were like trying in the most German way <laughs> to get family to talk about the Bible at home. And I think it worked. Maybe until we went into English, but I don't know. I didn't live then. I can only read the old books. Um, but it seems that there was something that held them together. Because uh, you say, well, the times are different. No, 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 no. If you read the Lutheran or like the old stuff about your know, early, early Lutheranism in Missouri, um, they were fighting all communism. The author's got tracks on communism and how if communism is going to destroy us, if everyone goes communist, just be careful because they're going to take our stuff. You know, it, it's, they knew what we we're knowing now. Things have changed, but not that much. I mean, we don't have teleporters just yet. And even if we did, you know, I'm pretty sure I'd end up sinful on the other side. Maybe worse. Can you imagine that? Golly. Imagine the epigenetic study that would need to be done on teleporters before you could actually do it safely. That's a, there's, there's a tangent. But now I'm trying to speak in such a way, Beth, as to give you conviction that what you're about to say is in fact where you should be. Okay. So hopefully all my ramble has been done, done that for you so far. Um, you know, so. Raising a question voice, questioning voice, not only impacts me, but also my family. Okay, so now here's the twist, right? We depend upon this job uh, for the needed income, health insurance, which my husband does not get through his job. I oh, mean, that's the, that's the slavery. You want to talk about American slavery and reparations? Health insurance is slavery. I'll just say it. It's bond servitude at the very least. I mean, if you're only going to define slavery by the way the Americans did it for like 150 years, then you don't really understand slavery in its history, and you're going to be one before you know it. <laughs> it just, there's more than one way um, to enslave a man, and uh, the man has a long and storied history of figuring this one out. So, you know, just, just, just for, for that matter, I'm with you. Health insurance, it's slavery. 
We just have to, if you need it and you can't just have it on your own independently, like that upper 1% or whatever, um, you know, who get to opt out of Congress and all this, uh, uh, you know, you heard, uh, I believe, fact check me on this. Uh, I'm pretty sure back when Obamacare passed, uh, I'm old enough to remember this, right? Ben Shapiro style. When, I'm pretty sure when Obamacare passed, Congress included a provision which made it so that Congress never had to be like under Obamacare and like their family was like exempted and all this. It was like, really though, it's good for the whole country except for you. How, how, how fascinating. The healthcare system of which you are a part and which is now rising to chew you up is the means by which we are held captive in this age, not financially, although that is it because mammon ultimately is financial, but it is by means of fear. I'm just going to leave it right there. The only reason you want health insurance is you are afraid of what God might do to you. And not provide for you afterwards. Now, have I given you the advice, cancel your health insurance? No, I have not, nor will I be canceling mine anytime soon. I consider it in one way to be a necessary part of income in this life. And it does tie a worker to the land, which can be good for the corporation or for the community, because workers moving too fast is also bad. So there's arguments in favor of this, okay, um, w- without going into bond servitude. But right now, just not, it's, it's being wielded upon us as a form of bond servitude because it's like, I can't not have this because if I don't have this, I won't have this thing to protect me from my fear of being sick and my kids being sick and dying, Right? Now, how much of that is us rejoicing in the gift of God of the medical world, which has been given to us to be there when we need it? And how much of that is us attempting to control the universe so that it can be the world we want to build? And every one of us does this. I mean, if you're sitting there, well, how can he say that about her? That's so No, no, no. She knows and I know. I mean, we're all doing this. This, this is Christianity. And if you're a Christian, you can't talk this way. I'm, I'm going to say maybe you should question a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, like, like the, the, the whole essence of Christianity is the vulnerability of burying iniquities with each other. Not that we would continue in them, but that we could encourage each other to stop doing them. Right? And so the iniquity that's just dominating all of us right now is fear. It was boredom for a while. <laughs> now, it's, now it's fear. It's really got us hard. And so you're having to say, do I let that fear, which is my flesh, tell me what to do? Right? That's your question. It's a good question. You should ask that question. Huh? We are dependent on this job for the need of home, income, health insurance. My husband, we said the part, right? Five children who are going to continue to homeschool, which, dear God, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and this will be a lesson, won't it then? Like, like, think about it. All the homeschooling you want to do ever is for what? So that they live a great life now and then die and go to hell? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's so that they will believe in Jesus. Okay, well, here's like, you want to teach them something they will never forget? Teach them how to suffer in the name of Christ with joy. Oh, wow. I mean, can we do it? I'm going to tell you you can because God says you will. Because if that's where you are, then it's his gift to you. And his word will be a lamp to your feet, a guide to your path. And and I think it's, I think it's, in, it might be Ecclesiastes. It's one of the wisdom texts in, in Old Testament. And I'm not sure if it's Solomon, but you know, I've, I've lived many years. So I've never seen the, the righteous begging for bread. So it's what's bread and how much do we think we need? That might be some of the testing we're all going to be facing in the next three to four years of the ramifications of having our economy completely come to a halt will be felt. And the question will be asked as it gets worse and more expensive, do we melt little snowflakes or do we stand up like men, like Americans, right? 
like Christian men, that once, by vigor, did in fact make America great, uh, as a part of the backbone at the very least, right? Do, do we stand up and, and build better and build more? So if evil wants to steal what has been built and tear it down, why would I not raise a flag for Christ somewhere else? And, and wherever you are is, is where that would be, unless it's to go to where it is elsewhere, right? So whatever happens in all of this over the next three to five years as the ramifications financially tumble down one after another, it is going to be like, a, you want to talk about waves. I mean, I don't know about if the, if the virus continues to do what's been done with it politically. Um, who knows uh, what can be said of the economy? Um, and, and it's not just the economy, right? Because you see the economy is going up right now, but people are losing jobs. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's hyper complex. Anybody who says they know exactly what's going to happen next is, is probably lying to you, right? I, I'm not making plans more than a month ahead. And I keep saying that to people and everyone's like, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. You can't really do that. Yeah. Because there's just too much complexity going on in the system right now, which makes it seem seem like it's about to all burst. Um, now, I've been thankfully reading uh, uh, Nassim Tlaib uh, uh, on I forget, Skin of the Game. He's got a couple of them. But Skin of the Game, and it's been encouraging to remember that his mathematical proposition, which I'm I'm 100% bought into now, it's kind of philosophy too, is that God, he doesn't say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. God built the world, <clears throat> he designed the world with such symmetry, such perfection that it can't get so out of balance that it destroys itself. It will not destroy itself, he will destroy it, right? Uh, and the way that that works is that it's kind of like the first use of the law, the curb, right? That things can only get so out of balance before it curbs itself back in. It has to come back in. And be back into balance. Uh, the design itself, the creation itself, in, enacts this as part of its created order, right? And we confess this. We call it natural law, all this other kind of stuff. So what we know is that is as bad as it looks at every t- any time you ever are, and this can be for your personal life as you're losing your job, right? This can be as the whole civilization seems to be falling apart around you. It, it's actually kind of just like it always is, or you're in one of those small moments that will pass, right? Small moments that will pass. Those times when you're actually on the battlefield. And, you know, so there were a couple of really big ones. There's been history points where we had like five years of that. Five years. Not an eternity. So you lose your job. How long is it going to be? It's going to be as long as it needs to be until God puts you where he wants you to be to talk next. <laughs> and you, you go into this with that conviction and you, you might just find out you, you don't have to do it. I don't know. You never know what God will do. You really don't. He's got the power. Think about it this way. You've got the power. Are not the words of Scripture the word of God? Are you not a prophet when you speak them in truth? I don't wield this like a, like a ham-fisted club on people. But if you're going to make your case in an interview with somebody, why not just speak the word of God the entire time? <laughs> It'd take a little work to memorize a touch of it, but you could just lay out your case using psalm verses and then plead their mercy that you would love to continue serving there, but you can't do this thing. And, you know, your resignation is ready to be given if that's what's needed. No, I'm at your service. I'm just a Christian. Um, at the very least, I mean, I would say you got to build the confession of Jesus Christ has risen from the dead into it somehow just to stick it in the item. Because if they, if they don't like it, then it's like, well, you heard the gospel. <laughs> you know, um, and it might melt their hearts. You just don't know. Well, why are we afraid to speak it? This It's like the, it's the worst, right? So you need a pep talk. Have I done it? I hope so. You know, pep talk in trusting God for his provision and enduring the persecution of being perceived as a hateful bigot. Um, yeah, because at this point, I don't know if I have the courage or faith. Uh, well, Jesus has you 
And so, yeah, you do. It, it doesn't feel like it until it's over. Um, hmm. I'm trying to remember. There's a book called The Courage to Be Disliked, I think. It's not bad. Um, it, you know, it could have been shorter, uh, like a lot of books. His his provision and enduring persecution uh, for being perceived as a hateful bigot. So, fear. I talked about fear earlier, right? So, there are a couple different kinds of fear. I would say that that fear of death that we are driven by when we, like, run away from COVID instinctually, right? I would say uh, that is a fear of losing wealth. I'm going to define wealth the way Naveem uh, Talib. No, I'm going to confuse him with Naseem now. Um, uh, Naveem. If you Google Naveem, you'll find him. Um, the way Naveem talks about wealth is he's not really thinking about money. Money is a different thing. Uh, money is a form of debt, um, uh, and it, it is a. It's it's like it's having stuff, but it doesn't necessarily have enduring or creative value. Whereas there are things in life you can have that have enduring creative value. He talks about things like factories that produce things. But if you think about it, like your own health, your body, that's, that's your ultimate form of wealth. Uh, as long as you have a body and health, you can continue to function, right? And if you lose those things, that becomes more and more difficult. Um, so the fear of losing that wealth drives us instinctually in our flesh. It is the courage uh, of of which the word rage uh, maybe isn't exactly a part of, but but is is there? It's like it's like that pushback, right? Uh, the courage of faith is directly connected to that wealth as, as well. The belief that this body, though it die, can't die, is where the courage to stand in front of evil and be like, "Well, take my job then." I guess you know. I mean, the Lord fed guys in the wilderness before. I'm not like looking for it, but you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put my hand to work because that's what he said to do and he promises he's going to provide right so you stand there with that conviction against the fear by means of the trust the trust itself being a courageous thing right faith reliant upon clear promises but if you don't have those clear promises to speak to yourself uh, he is risen you are paid for uh you are immortal now uh he will he will be <laughs> he won't be long anyway uh, all those things the water seals it the bread feeds it saying that to yourself not just at that moment <laughs> but all the time so that at that moment, that's what you're saying to yourself. You hear, hear what I'm saying? Like, like whatever you're putting in every day, it rattles and some of it comes out and some of it drifts in like this, right? Well, it's okay. So imagine if instead of just letting the world shove in whatever it wanted, like you shut it to a spigot, you control what came in from the world. And then you just shoved a whole lot of word of God in all the time and started repeating it. Oh, rinse, wash, rinse, wash, rinse, wash, right? I think what's going to start coming out of your mouth next. <laughs> It's going to be the word of God at some point. It has to be. It's how our minds work. That's why discipline, you know, teaching, discipleship is pretty important. Any, anyhow. So I'm not saying you haven't done that. I'm saying continue to do it. And do it with the confidence that this moment is why you were born. This moment is when your kids are going to see you confess Christ as God with what you do. When the skin is in the game, when the deck is down, and you're going to go into this because you have listened to my advice. You're going to pray. You're going to be reading the Psalms and translating them onto paper. You're going to be uh, doing the same thing with the Proverbs and translating them on the paper. Until then, preparing for your own. You don't have to have it all written out. You can set it up, write it out. But preparing just to give answer because you know that you believe these things and trusting that your God is powerful enough that a Goliath can just fall over without you being ready for it. Now, I'm not promising you that is what will happen. Right? It's, it's not, there's no uh, uh, prosperity gospel in this whatsoever. God might indeed topple Goliath, and he might indeed have Goliath nail you to a cross. 
And you will then pray, Lord have mercy on Goliath, enjoy, because you will know that you're winning. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they do. The, the only loss is to stop talking. That's the only famine you should really worry about. You got the, you got the courage in your faith, because it's in the word. Now, if you're looking for it in yourself, you can find it. Where's my courage? Good luck, man. Uh, yeah, uh, look for it in the words themselves. Uh, here was it one twenty seven one. I'm still working on locations. Uh, those you, you'll like this one. Take this one. Take this one. Those who trust in Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Now, now take that. Go find. I think it's one twenty seven one. Take it. Write it down, and just read it to yourself every day at least once. Say it out loud. Make it like, this is my own personal magic spell of wording to enhance the reality of the aura of my faith. I'm speaking symbolically. Well, sort of. I'm speaking hyperbolically. Uh, This set of words, understood and spoken with a true wisdom to yourself every day, will grant you courage. Because it will tell you every day that you who are trusting in Jesus at this moment by doing this, are in fact like Mount Zion that cannot be moved, and that's God talking to you. Now, this is not as though you're going to win everything. You will not be moved in your faith no matter what comes. You will understand how to apply the New Testament exhortations, not as legal codes, tit for tat, but as a, a mindset by which you're going to stand in this world not like the rest of the wallowers. Tr- trust it. It's true. It's true. It's true. Huh? And you're going to say it's true. And you're going to do it in your own way. I would say it wrong at that moment. I would not be made for that moment. I would be ill-prepared to know the people in the room and know what they hate and what they love and what the scriptures say at that moment. And you will. So, that... I don't know. <laughs> Did I just tell you to go get fired? I don't think so. I think I told you to go try to keep your job with the Word of God. And uh, don't assume it doesn't convert people it's kind of miraculously. By the way, speaking of converting people, um, I did just write a book about converting people. It's pretty short, like 150 pages. You can get through it easily in an evening, if not a weekend. It may be something you want to return to again and again. It's called Talk Them Into It, and I'm giving it away absolutely for free in like three days, right? So the newsletter, Mad Mondays, which is a data mining service we do to get you the best real information we can about life in the world today through the white noise, for the sake of your faith, we're going to be sending out to that email list a copy of that book in whatever e-format you want to download when you see the little links and say e-format download. And it will be, you know, Kindle, whatever. Uh, it is not going to release on paperback for two more weeks. So for the next two weeks, though, if you want it, it is, again, going to be available for free. You can... Um, I, I said that I said that poorly. We're going to scroll that back. So it is always going to be available for free as a PDF. However, getting to it uh, is going to be in windowed spaces to try to promote the book as best as we can. So for the moment, it is only going out free uh, in this email in two days, right? So if you're subscribed, you're going to get it. If by the time it goes out, 
Well, actually, we're going to extend that. We had a, uh, uh, um, what do we call this? A competition uh, that if by the time it went out, we could jump from 800 subscribers, give or take, to over 1,000 subscribers, give or take, then we would release an alternate cover. And I can, I can announce to you now that we have, in fact, passed that thanks to a little nudge from a friend. Uh, if you don't know Pastor Wolf Mueller, he helped us out this week. And, and a bunch of people, maybe, will be joining this over the next however long as they're looking for more out in the wasteland and they find us here. Um, so that pushed us over that 1,000. So we definitely have an alt cover. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. Um, but so we'll re- we will release uh, the digital copy uh, on Monday, and you can download either cover at that point. Uh, and then in two weeks, uh, we will be releasing the paperback on Amazon. So the pre-orders will begin Monday for the actual release in two weeks on Amazon. Huh? You with me? All right. And why? Uh, because once you have it now in your hands, I believe you will think it is one of the most useful things you've ever found. And you're going to want paper copies. You're going to want them bad. And I'm going to say, so go buy them right now. <laughs> uh, pre-order stacks up and creates the first day of release as like a boost in your polls to get you higher so more people see you so then you get bought more. So we want to try to do that, right? And one of the ways of doing that is that we're got you got... You got two weeks, take a look at it, it's completely free, and then, oh my goodness, this is something we need to actually have a lot of, and then know this as well. So our, our alt cover, both books will be available on, on Amazon. Um, oh, wow. Oh, no. Yeah, it'll be the alt cover. It'll be alt cover will be released on Amazon, not the, um, oh, you can, I don't know, how many, uh, you haven't seen it yet. I'm just laughing at the cover. The alt cover will be released on Amazon uh, as the only release uh, for a, a – oh, i got to think about that now. This will affect the Amazon numbers. I'm going to pull this back. I'm not going to tell you that's quite what's happening. For sure, there's an alt cover. It's coming your way. It's so cool looking. How to make this the best for the release day to get the boost in the ratings. That's what we're trying to do. Why? So the book gets shoved out further because I think the more people who read this book are going to be people who want to read this book again because they're going to be in conversations like the one Beth is asking about. And it's a handbook for Christians in the midst of these conversations to some extent. At the very least, it's a starting point. I mean, it's not going to give you details for like how to how to resign in front of your body. Lost, right, uh, but but it is going to talk about how to keep things in perspective all the way through these uh, what you might call crucial conversations. All right, so golly, oh, I had such a cool plan. Okay, so I'll, I'll talk it out for you right here. Um, so if we release two covers at the same time, hmm, what happens then is you can't actually have like a best-selling one, right? Because the, the real one will be diminished by the alt cover one. I don't know. I got to go into Amazon tonight and figure this out because um, we don't want to diminish those sales because that's how you get into the search engine. That's how the book would actually sell. So we may just have to go with the alt cover uh, as the actual cover, but I really like the original cover. So I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Um, but we'll figure it out and the alt cover will be definitely available for purchase in some way, right? Oh, I know what we're going to do. It's gonna, it'll be about Christmas. It'll be a Christmas time release that you can buy the paperback alt. But the alt cover will definitely be there for you in the in the downloads. And I'll tell you what it is. So the original cover is, t- I've talked them into it. Oh, can I show it to them? Did she send it to me? I don't have it. It's somewhere on my computer, but it looks really great. Frisbee's done great work on it. Um, uh, we, we modeled it after uh, some other best-selling works in New York Times style business economy. Um, very simple and accessible, kind of like a how-to book a little bit. Um, but again, this is going to be hopefully fitting in your pocket. Like a, a five by eight, if we can do it. So it was going to have on the cover. There's like this this green apple uh, with a bite out of it in the middle of it, just a white and all the words. Talk them into it, all this stuff. Green apple with a bite out of it. And this is 
I would hope uh, calling to mind the fall in some way. Maybe it doesn't for everybody, but would you look closer and you see the apple's a little brown where the bite's been taken? Uh, the idea of decay, struggle, and yet there's fruit, there's life, uh, all that's still there. This is what a fruitful conversation about conversion in Christianity really is like. It's acknowledging both the good and the evil of the reality that we're in and seeing what it was and knowing what it will be again because of Christ. So I, I really like the cover a lot. So, But in the book, and this is maybe one of the best reasons to get the book, uh, if you've ever been online and you have had, I should, I should probably, hold on, sorry, Beth, thank you so much for your question. If you've ever been online and you have been in a conversation with somebody who just doesn't seem to want to have a conversation, they would rather just be angry at you. And then you should know they probably think the same thing about you, but, but, you know, you're not quite sure how to handle this conversation and, and uh, would like some guidelines, some t- tips and tactics on, on how to deal with what you might call an internet troll. Yeah. Um, now, to understand that a troll is a human is really the purpose of my, the entire book that's being released. And so uh, to, to understand that nobody is really a troll is kind of important. At the same time, having guidelines at hip for when you have a conversation with somebody who doesn't want to have a conversation um, and it tries to have one with you anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it, it, that's in this book in a little section called The Appendices of Trolls. Because why would you not want to have the appendices of trolls with you while you're going to do battle with trolls? That sounds like a great charm or something. So it's, it's an appendix that has, uh, again, a few sections about how to have these kinds of conversations and making fun of the idea of trolls, a uh, light of it, not, not trying to be hateful with it at all. Um, and so what well, the all cover, right? This is all about the all cover. The all cover then is going to be uh, a troll, <laughs> a troll holding an apple. And he's a happy troll. Oh, he's so cute. He's a cute little troll. Uh, and uh, I think you're going to like it very much. Uh, and uh, so thank you for making all that happen. That's all a distraction from where we want to be. So we're going to go back to your questions and answers. But I, I think this book is a game changer in so many ways. I hope you feel so too. And it's, it's so free that all you got to do is take a gander at it. And if I don't convince you in the first couple of pages to keep reading, obviously you don't want to throw it away. Yeah. So um, it's free. <laughs> please, please sign up. Mad Mondays, you can find that link usually right below. Um, or people on the side are always happy to help. Uh, you can always send an email to refis.com slash contact or go to refis.com and click on the newsletter link up on the top as well. Monica says this, Dear Rev Fisk, I need some water. She didn't say that. She said, Can an unfaithful Bible translation still be used to bring someone to faith? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that the, the answer is yes before we go further, but like, please understand that no Bible translation by itself generally is going to bring anybody to faith. It, the Word of God, which the Bible translation translates, is what brings people to faith. And then if they read it, that's good. But if you are then in a context where you're reading it together or you're speaking it, that's also the same thing, right? So I think where you're going is imagine a place where the, the, the text has the wrong word, <laughs> where the, the church body hates Jesus so much, they've stripped him out of the Bible, actually, right? They ripped him out of the Trinity. And I'm not kidding. It's out there. You can find that copy. Um, JW's, hello, <laughs> Jemima's washer beans, something like that. Um, uh, so uh, you can still be at that point and know what the real word means. You can also avoid that verse, you know, in there and talk about all the other verses, but, but, um, so the point is like, yeah, you can, but then there's a, there's a different answer to that too. Right. So, um, last week you mentioned, uh, the JW Bible and the Mormons also have a Bible that I'm going to guess, uh, eliminates the Trinitarian references. You know, I don't know much about the Mormon Bible. I'm very curious about that. Uh, there's also a quote passion Bible translation that heavily emphasizes God as something that burns. 
like indigestion in you and <laughs> is part of you in a way that he has never says he is in other translations. Interesting. Um, that's really interesting. Passion in the Bible generally is a word for suffering or sin, interestingly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, a friend of mine pointed me to a quote recently, just this week, from St. Ignatius, a, a, a church father. And it was a quote about how, unlike before when he was a pagan and had fire burning inside of him, his passions, uh, now that he's a Christian, he has cool water flowing inside of him and his passions are diminished and his contentment and satisfaction is increased. I'll just let that be an answer to that a little bit, right? Like that, that kind of says it all, I think. And if, if it doesn't to you, it's like, well, rewind, <laughs> listen three or four times. Uh, so yeah, you don't want you don't want a spirit that's going to be part of you different than the way that God says he's going to be a part of you, right? If you're looking for the spirit to talk to you outside of the word of God or with different things than the word of God, if you're looking at creation, not as a gift of chance in which God indeed is always good. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's one thing, right? It's another thing to say, um, I'm going to be the manager of this chance, right? I'm going to be the one who has control over the world. Uh, so that's what happens when you want to have this burning spirit within you is the idea that somehow like, like a sorcerer, almost the Holy spirit, when he comes inside of you, is just going to like make you like that, right? And while certainly men can do that, and women can too, I suppose, of their own spirit, and the Word of God could drive them to that, that's not like the only emotion the Word of God evinces. Is that a word? Evinces? Evicts? Not evicts. Evinces. I think that's a word. It's the only one it brings about. I mean, it, it brings about a lot of emotions. And so, yeah, indeed, courage is part of, passion is, conviction is part of Christianity, but it's not all of Christianity. I mean, I'm pretty sure self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness. I mean, these things in zeal, uh, they can be friends. Not always friends. And again, when you have a false spirit telling you a false thing about God with words that are kind of from the Bible, kind of not, but then saying, now let me inhabit you, I'm just going to say, ah! did I just wink? I didn't mean to. I blinked. Uh, I'm going to say, um, winking, winking on a video. We talked about this before. How funny that is. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say that you got to be real careful when you're following anything saying, find a spirit, find a spirit. Christianity says, you know what spirit you have. You already have the spirit. Is he risen? Yes. You have the spirit. You are paid for. You are immortal. He won't be long anyway. All that kind of stuff, right? Not where is the spirit? Not how do I get more spirit? You can ask for a double portion of your spirit. <laughs> well, you know, a double portion of Elijah's spirit. I don't think you're going to get more Holy Spirit than you already got. And that's, again, all there to point you to the Word of God. So if you do want more enlivening by the Spirit, I can only tell you, read the Bible. Translate the Bible. Write the Bible out. You know, can, 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 like, translate it out. Don't just copy it. Like, write it again. Write what it meant. Don't write it for someone else. Write it for you. What did I think that? What did that teach me about today? How does that overlap with my life? Write that out. All right, all right, but don't use a JW Bible. I agree, nor the Passion Bible. If you got one of these translations, could you be justified in burning or getting rid of it? Um, don't you think book burning is like, it's more of a bit of a show than it's worth, right? I mean, I, I, for the association you're going to draw, I would say don't burn it. However, I have more than once let a bit of heresy just kind of fall into the trash can. I'm like, yeah, no, uh, it's not going to help anybody anywhere, you know, so we'll just, we'll just let it go. Um, so yeah, I would say let those go, uh, unless you want to keep it for reference. But it's kind of like, 
do you really want to store the heretic stuff for them? Like, make them store it. <laughs> you know, in terms of, like, if, if there's a, a catastrophic civilizational collapse and your library survives, do you really want the Book of Mormon in it? No, I don't. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great question. Um, uh, but but the, getting back to it, though, you know, you can use these Bibles in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I normally will not reach for a Gideon Bible, just on principle, actually. Um, however, I've done it all the time when I have to. Right, if I don't have mine, uh, because why? Because it's there, and because it's better than nothing, unless unless you don't know where the lies are. Now, if you don't know the lies, like you know, you don't want to engage on any type of conversation with this Bible. If you're not familiar with what those lies are or how to sniff them out without being duped by them, which is again what Lutheran dogmatics is really good for. I uh, really, really good for. Like it's like the super sniffer. Um, and if if you learn Lutheran dogmatics, you're going to be able to super sniff. Um, it you know Lutheran culture tends to be a little. Um, Sherlock Holmesy about it in, in all the mannerisms included, <laughs> uh, but but it is a reality, right? And so you can you can grow in terms of your application. You can you can take from Lutheran doctrine even if you're not a Lutheran. Um, you can, as a Christian, uh, wherever you are, again, go back to the basics of it all. Right? Let let the Lord be your Lord. I'm not so sure you should just only read the red letters of a gospel, but if you're not reading the red letters of a gospel. I mean, he's your king, right? Right. You hear me. We're going to get this thing. This, I'm convinced. I don't like my hair yet. I want my hat back. Ugh, top knot is a long way away still. Following my son to a top knot. Uh, we, I believe, are done being afraid. And we're done pointing fingers as our mission. I got no problem pointing a finger at, Joe, at JW false teaching, but like that's not what I'm going to go out there and like focus on. Um, I'm going to go out there and focus on telling people who don't know, because there's a lot I've never even heard uh, about who Jesus is. And I, I think we're just on the verge of being an American church. And I'm not, I'm not talking unity in terms of church body. I just think that right now, because of the, the persecutions which we are seeing that have in some ways made us realize the value of our faith to us and our children, how easy it could be taken away, I think in every single tradition where Christianity remains, you have people going back to Scripture. Hard. It's like, sweet. I guess God. Yeah? Maybe we'll all talk to each other, and this time the Lutherans will be able to talk in a way which gives the gospel to everybody, and they follow it. Yeah? Um, so, so to be ready for that. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Um, Garen says this. Uh-oh. Um, it is Pastor Fisk tummy time. He says, I'm an LCMS pastor in Idaho. God bless you in Idaho. I want to thank you for your genuine and bold insight into the ministry. Well, uh, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, I, well, you're welcome. Um, it, re- it resonates and educates. What, what I'm, I, let me just re- reframe that for myself, Karen. Look, man, I... I'm just so tired of being worried about whether or not my congregation is going to mammon survive. I'm so tired of worrying about whether my church body is going to mammon survive. And and that fear and the workload of trying to make that fear go away, I think is what dominates so much of my church body's theological discussions on almost every level. From from mission work to not mission work, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm just I'm just done being afraid of that. And it's I, I can talk big now because it's not I'm not in quite the threatening position I was you know you know ten years ago. But um, it, it really isn't the point for me. Like t- I'm actually at a point where it's, okay, I'm here. I want if they take it all away. All right, 
whatever. Uh, it's just, I, I'm done. If, if it all got taken away, right? Well, I can't, I can't even imagine the scenario. So we'll do zombies. So, so zombies all come tonight only to my neighborhood, nowhere else in the world, just to my neighborhood and they surround my neighborhood. They kill all my neighbors. They are the zombies. And now my house is alone and, and I have to live here and serve and, and walk through a zombie curse from God every week, but no one else knows it's there. It's just me, and it's, it's awful. And I think, dear God, why is this? I'm going to tell you, my faith in that moment, I, this is not a realistic proposition. My, my faith in that moment is going to be the same faith it would be in every other moment, which is, well, Lord Jesus, if this is in fact what you have desired in order that I might be better able to confess that I am immortal in you now, on my way to death and on the day that I die, then so be it, Lord. Let's go. Bring this thing. That only happens when you're not afraid of losing the stuff as the stuff. And I'll tell you, that doesn't happen because you're not afraid of losing the stuff. It's because you know God's going to replace the stuff. He said so. hundredfold. I guess a lot. <laughs> in this life, he even says, which is crazy. I, you know, I don't think that means that if you die, you're going to rise in this life, or everything that you lose will always come back in this life. But I'm pretty sure it means kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, if you lose your job and you have like a year and a half of hard, like that, that yeah, like you're, you're living in a car and you're driving and staying with friends and you, you move to Rockford because it's got a low cost of living and join a great church where we put you to work doing amazing stuff and you get connected. Anyway, who knows what happens? But you know, he knows what's going to happen. And it's so that your faith in his knowing what's going to happen will grow. It's really cool. So my friend in Idaho, I'm just standing on that now because I can't take, (laughs) I can't take pretending anymore. Um, And we want it to look like Everything's still going to come back. And I think that, I think there will be things. I think post November, uh, it's going to get under control. I'm kind of, uh, if the Lord is really good to us, we'll see it very under control, uh, with in fact, uh, changing political ideals and cities and things like that, which would be very interesting. But, but, but getting to that point, right. There's a lot of things that aren't going to go back, at least for me, the way they were like my fear of losing it. Uh, <laughs> like, like, that's not worth it. It's not worth it to live like that. So now I got it back. I'm just going to use it all the harder, right? And so it's like, you do that right now. And as a pastor, that's going to mean, it doesn't mean take the filter off. It means uh, reinvent the filter with the scriptures again. Like take a step back from the, the dialectic of theological education, which has prepared you to be a professor, and learn to be a prophet. And I don't mean one who tells the future. I mean, the guy who knows the counsel of God and shares it, right? There it is. Right, here it is. Right there, I can point to it, right? You know, stand and preach, man. Right. And so you're welcome. And I hope it inspires you to just do the same because it really isn't about like, I think it was what's so interesting about the show, if we're going to call it that. Right. And me, if I'm somehow interesting, um, is at, at this point is just that I'm just like, you know what? I'm sold out to this thing. Let's just let's just stop like trying to save our, our, our present lives our temporal lives and uh, and let this guy, you know, if he wants to kill us today, he kills us. And, and the, the comfort that has brought to my life and the ease with which things that I don't like doing have become things I almost don't mind doing is really interesting. The level of contentment that exists when I just am OK with dying like now. Yeah, I mean, why not? You know, so it's, I mean, the Lord would take care of them. It would be hard, but I mean, it's not like I haven't planned it all. And, you know, so, and, and why would I have planned it all? Because I read the book of Proverbs when I was 20. It told me not to be an idiot. <laughs> so, so all of that, right? 
So your question is actually this. You're welcome. And I just want to give it to you, right? I want to give it to everybody. I don't want this to be uh, Mad Christianity is Rev Fisk's being crazy fearless. I want it to be Mad Christianity is the belief that Christianity makes you fearless. If you wanted to. Right? Does it doesn't make you happy. I mean, not in the sense of like American happy, at least. It makes you content, though. There's something fascinating about that. I mean, and it's never without the sin. Not once. There's no not a drop of Methodism, what I'm saying. Dear heavens, this is Saint Sinner all the way. You're screaming and kicking. It's the cross every time. And yet, and yet, the confidence doesn't diminish through the suffering. And that's what we're all getting bathed in right now. Doesn't mean we run out and grab suffering. It means we maybe stop trying to be such, so afraid of suffering. So, all right, here's your question. Garrett, I, st- I don't think I can say anything that won't make this look like a shill. Oh, I know what's coming. It's good. It's all right. So without further ado, I wrote a book on zombies. Sweet. Um, it's an attempt to be creative that, that is not punished around here. Uh, engaging that, that is also encouraged around here and teach the faith. <gasps> well, that's interesting. Um, the trick with a fiction book will be to not be cheesy, but I'm sure people will gladly give you feedback. Mm, yeah. Um, to apply to the second book, of course. Uh, if you are interested in reading, I can send you a PDF or mail a paperback. Here's the synopsis. So, Straight up. Yeah, send me a paperback. Do not give me anything digitally ever. Um, please. <laughs> I don't need any more. The internet has too much already. And I try to archive it every time I get it. And I'm trying to learn how to stop that habit. So, but I'd love to have a paperback uh, for a glance at it. I'll wave it up on the show. And, and uh, I'll even give you some feedback if you want real feedback. Um, I've, I've been through the ringer as a writer. And I know this. There's two types of writers. Those that can swallow it hard when someone says, okay, here's what I thought. And, and those who can't and and if they can't then you just you know no one's ever going to tell you how to get better right so um but if you really want me to give you my literary opinion on the book i would love that because this is exactly the kind of stuff i want more of i'd be happy to review it um uh for you here on the show and again we're promoting it effectively right now um what I, what I, well, I'll just pitch it then. So yeah, send it to my church address. You can find that at madchristian, uh, at riffus.com. You can find uh, the address there. Ecclesia pastoral theology in the zombie plague. Being a small town pastor is harder than it seems. Especially when an infectious disease afflicts most of the town with mindless rage and thirst for flesh. In the middle of a zombie plague, Pastor Darren finds his world undone. His relationship strained and his faith challenged. His four years of seminary and a shotgun enough to keep his family church and town alive that sounds awesome dude i'm totally for that that is so cool um awesome and i'm pretty confident that uh if we have a show of hands um we'll we'll just distribute why don't you get us a link to this you want to give it away for a bit give it to people for a bit um that's how you really get it going and you can't expect people to buy your first book um give it to them <laughs> uh so uh if you want us to put that out on a, a, a upcoming promo of mad mondays happy to do it for you and but that's only if you send me a paperback because i i do have to see it before i can say um it's good and i might even just put my review right up there so get ready get ready for pain and happiness remember suffering is how we grow what do we got Nine thirty. you guys ready for a break <laughs> no, it's the weirdest thing. As a person who has self-confidence issues, which I seriously do, I really do. I'm like this little snowflake. Um, as a person who has serious self-confidence issues, like regularly throughout this show, I just kind of feel like you're tired of listening to me, and I and I should catch myself and stop talking, and then and then. But then I realize it's my show and I have to keep talking. So I don't know where, when I'm going to get over this hitch that somehow I think you, you're tired of me talking. 
on my talk show. Um, but uh, man, I tell you, again, I mentioned childhood trauma earlier. I won't go into details now. When my wife and I launch our podcast, um, uh, which title I've forgotten now already, but it's coming back. Uh, Stop the white noise. Uh, when we launched that, I mean, we just launched a brief history of power. Give me some time. There's a D&D thing still in the works. We're building stuff around the house here. You know, so so it's all in good time. we got 40 years to do this stuff, right? Um, uh, she and I are going to have a podcast about uh, Stop the White Noise, how to parent and communicate in a very loud age, right? Um, and I'm sure we'll be talking about childhood trauma there and its impact on issues of shame, vulnerability, and where the forgiveness of sins and where the word and sacraments of Jesus particularly uh, set you free to, to navigate some pretty sticky thorn bushes. And um, this is this is for everybody. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have this. And the people who think they don't have it, they're just enmeshed and they can't even see it. So that, you know, that kind of stuff is, is we're talking about it and will come your way. I'm not quite sure how I tended on that, but we'll just go back then to this. Oh, yeah, it was, it was the having to listen to me talk. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I'll leave that marvelous inside joke in my head. It's from That Hideous Strength, which I've recommended once already. You can go you can go check out That Hideous Strength. Um, again, on my rec. It's funny, too. It's, it's cosmic horror with a sense of humor. Lewis, Lewis had a certain mastermind dialogue ability. His, his characters are just they're hilarious. Um, in any case, in the midst of a cosmic horror. I mean, how do you do that? Um, Tracy says this. Uh, the homework from the SM Chill was amazing. You're welcome. I'm, I'm trying to remember it because I've given a lot of different assignments to different people this week. Um, I went to, oh, good. I went to LSB 7, yes, yes, yes. Go to the hymnal and translate, right? I went to LSB 769, Eternal Spirit of the Living Christ, and the accompanying Bible verse, yes, go down to the corner, yes. Um, uh, Romans 8, 26 to 27, Ephesians 6, 18, Luke 11, 1 to 4, 22 to 42, and I heard a conversation. Uh, what do I say? Just pray. The Holy Spirit is with you and will give you the words. What do I, what do I pray about? Pray for the needs of God's people. Uh, how do I start? Start with the Lord's Prayer. It covers all the basics. What do I ask for God's will, his perfect will to be done? Amazing exercise. Yeah, so that is cool, right? So look at that. It's like you're channeling, but don't don't hear it this way, right? It's not right. It's not magic, right? Um, this is just the word of God channeling itself through you, the Holy Spirit enlivening himself, actually God in you, making his word, which you know, be this understanding for you today in a way that you can speak it to others so that the word permeates your thoughts, right? It isn't that each one of these is the only thing that verse says or the only thing it says to somebody. Those verses have extreme context. And, and you know, you listen to my preaching on Sunday morning, we go into detail about how, uh, how these words have such substantial meanings and all this kind of stuff. But those meanings are so rock solid that they can impact your diverse life with the eternal truth of God in, in a manifold way when it comes to the blessings that it brings to your mind and your conscience and your heart and all these kinds of things, how they fuse together in the person and worship. So, yeah, so what did you do? I now remember the homework. You go to your hymnal. You open up any anyone you find, and you read the hymn, and then you go down to the bottom corner, and it will give you Bible verses that the hymn is based on. You go look those up. And then what she did was she smart-noted it. It just means you what you read as a summary, whether a paragraph or a page or a book, you sit down every so often in it, and you just gist it, right? You just kind of get the idea for you for the moment. And I will tell you, that is a revolutionary pedagogical tool um i have i have prayers um i have prayers that that is a gift to us christians right now at a very important time to be able to do what she just did so if you haven't tried this yet give it a week uh it 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 is the most amazing mind-shaping thing i've ever experienced um smart noting translate what you write just give it a gist tracy 
You're welcome. Thanks for doing the homework. I am going to uh, repopulate my, well, maybe my soda. I'm going to take a, a small break here. We will be right back with more of your questions. And uh, how did I do this? One of these days I'll be a professional. We'll see you in a moment. All right, I'm jumping in right now. Uh, Jordan says, I like the music game. I know what it is. I can tell you what it is, and I can tell you that I I, te- I semi-own the rights to using it in such a way that when I just upload, it's uploaded already. When I just get to it and release these little things I put together as separate videos, you can actually just listen to them as a playlist of mad Christian music. And my hope is to build that over time. And every time you listen on YouTube, click, click, view, 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 view. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so... Um, Jordan, I just got to get the push to do it. There's so many other things in the air, but it's sitting there for you, man. Um, and uh, I will title it something according to our faith because it is, it is legally purchased and I can completely redistribute it on my YouTube channel uh, however I like. And technically, you're not allowed to download stuff that's music from YouTube, but um, but you can too. So there's that thing. So it's weird, this digital universe, and I'm not going to debate that question right now because I want to get into a different issue that has to do with the digital universe than copyright. And to be sure, copyright is is connected <laughs> to a lot of things. Let's just say legal codes to protect people so that they never have to work again is not good for the system. Copyright is that. I'm an author. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this question's from Bill, and I want to spend some time on this one. This is great. Watched The Matrix for the first time last night. Yeah, all the leather, right? Yeah. Uh, why is it so interesting to you? Just curious. Yeah. Philosophy is why. Uh, they are remaking this, I'm told. Although, without Morpheus, I saw on my own newsletter. I didn't follow the link, but uh, that was good news. I should, I should check into that more. Sorry. Jesus, I want you to face forward. There we go. Um... They're remaking it, which is kind of cool. Uh, I, how will it be? I mean, without Keanu, Keanu Reeves, I mean, uh, you just asked such a big question. Okay. Let's just begin with this. In the history of acting, there are some actors, just a couple, who are so bad that almost anything they do can't be what it could have been. Much ado about nothing. The Matrix. What, what is he good at? Bill and Ted? Yep. Typecasting right there. He got that one straight on. I didn't have to act. Yeah, so so Keanu doesn't bring a lot of uh, passion mm-hmm, uh, to The Matrix. And, and it can, I suppose, then, if you don't know him or care or aren't ready for the kind of story it's going to tell or invested uh, in the quality of, say, 90s sci-fi, a la 80s too, you know, aliens, predator kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. So that's a prequel, right? A prelude. Okay, but... You're not watching this because it's going to be your favorite movie. This is Media Ecology, man. Media Ecology 101. Do you want to learn how to think in a 21st century digital boy age? And yes, that's an Easter egg. Do you want to learn... Bad religion. Do you want to learn how to navigate this so it doesn't turn your brain off? How you, how you can communicate with it as your advantage and not your disadvantage? All those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that even to apply this then, to live in a world of media and images, of idolatries and idologies coming at you, it's possible for us to also tell that story with their stories in such a way that it exposes them for who they are. It exposes the philosophy for what it is and the lies of the devil. And so The Matrix is, on the one hand, a movie made to try to make you question whether or not reality exists. And it does that 
I think pretty well. Now, uh, uh, Frisbee was asking in the in the summary she gave me of all the questions this week. You know, um, it's been a while since I saw The Matrix. I wonder how it holds up. Well. Uh, you know, that's going to be a matter of opinion, right? I mean, we tried watching Ben-Hur with my kids, and I thought it held up pretty good. They didn't like the plastic spears. So, <laughs> so you, know, you know, who thinks it holds up is going to have to do with what you're used to. But it's sort of like, and at a certain point, you've got to grow up, too. It's like, right, you're going to read a, a, a cosmic horror written in the 40s by C.S. Lewis. It's going to be more difficult than Harry Potter. Ah, uh, you know, cotton candy's easier to chew than steak, and it'll kill you. So, you know, I'm not saying Harry Potter will kill you, but the point is, like, if you want to get into some, some real learning and actually grow and not just sit there and be fed like a blob, right? You want to have the muscles move. The muscles have to bend and move and, and, and hurt a little bit, right? They have no pain, no gain is a very classic phrase for that reason. So, you know, you're not watching it for how well the cinematography is going to hold up. That's not why I will ever recommend a movie. I'm strictly going to recommend it based on its worldview propositions and how it has impact on your faith now, right? In an imaginatory way, right? That you can use this as ammo. This isn't just to dissect the culture. This is to say we can win. Uh, so a matrix is like ground zero for understanding how to engage the media then. How do you engage media ecology? Because what is the story? The story is that there's a guy who really hates his life. He's like everybody who works in a cubicle and a lot of people who don't work in cubicles, people who fly on jets and drink a lot and people who live in slums and drink a lot. And, you know, the world who doesn't drink a lot still struggles to get away from life. But he is particularly apathetic and frustrated by it to the level that he's uh, experimenting in like illegal technological uh, bootlegging kind of stuff. It doesn't really matter that much, but. In the midst of this, um, he is found by uh, a group of rebel freedom fighters who try to convince him that his day job is not reality, but that, in fact, he is a battery, a human who is a battery in a battery pack made up of millions of humans in a planet, Earth, run by machines where there are only a few free humans, and most humans are grown in tubes and used as batteries for the machines. And they want him to believe this. And he's like, this sounds a little crazy. And they're like, well, you know, you have to see it to believe it, which isn't necessarily true. And actually, they don't even tell him ahead of time. They're like, you have to see it to believe it, which isn't necessarily true. But he does it. He's out. That thing he was in, his head was plugged into the back that makes him see the fake world is the Matrix. And he's out in the real world now. And it's actually kind of like post-apocalyptic. We all wear brown and eat slop. <laughs> Why did I come here? Right? And then the story is about how they have to try to defeat the machines inside of the Matrix. So they have to learn to go into the Matrix with the understanding that it's not real. And if they go into the Matrix with the understanding that it's not real, and they can just believe that it's not real, the Matrix will bend to their will because it is not real. It's just a computer program that they're going to bend with their mind, I guess. <laughs> Which is maybe where it falls apart a touch, although their mind is plugged into the thing, right? And it's all based on suspension of belief. So, ah, you know, it's not a bad story. Um... Not a bad story. And, and, and this character, he turns out to not only be one of them, but he is, in fact, the Christ, right? I mean, yes and no, he dies and rises. They, they shoot him, and, and, he, and he comes back to life at the end, and then, and then goes into them and destroys the evil ones and saves everybody. So, I mean, he's, he's totally the Christ. He ascends at the very end. I mean, there's so many pieces that are just uh, Christological overlaps. And whether they were pulling on that on purpose, because the guys who made this like to play with mythology um, or not, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just ridiculous to me that you cannot, nobody can do this and then not have it be Jesus. Like, they, they, they have to use Jesus' methods because he's the ultimate. He is, he's the substance. And they're just all pale and often idolatrous reflections of him. All right. So, in this then, though, okay, 
I want you to consider that on your day in, day out life, what you think it is, is more like the matrix than you realize on two levels. We can do this in terms of unbelief in Christianity, and we can do this in terms of media ecology. The more important one is Christianity, but let's just start with media ecology then. The life that I think I have, when I'm letting this thing, or this one, or the phone, whenever it's telling me what life is, right? the more I'm in that, I'm actually in the matrix. <laughs> like I'm not here, right? I'm living a, a, a world that is not here, and yet my body is reacting as if I were there. Adrenaline, stress, all those kinds of things. Um, fight or flight, like a constant fight or flight, actually, because the screen makes you just have to be. Um, and so it's like trying to live inside the matrix. Like eventually you forget you're in the matrix. <laughs> and it's not, this isn't about necessarily good or evil. It can just be about time, right? Like I went in to do one thing. I did seven things. It's two hours later. Wow, where'd that go, right? Well, it was the matrix. <laughs> and so to understand that um, the way your brain plugs into the computer is not unlike what's going on in the matrix. That's a valuable thing in media ecology terms to understand its limitations. And if you want to see the real world clearly and you want to actually be able to use the matrix for you, you got to spend more time out than in. You got to be able to go in and like, tink, tink, tink. I'm going to move the world, <laughs> you know, uh, as opposed to the world's going to tell me what to do through notifications. Ah, notifications, wake up all, right? Turn it off, get out of the matrix, do some work, come back, hit, get out. That's one thing you can take from it right there. Christian or no. And Christian especially. But then Christianity makes it even more so. Because frankly, the blindness of sin and the unbelief in, in sin is its own form of matrix. Right? So everyone's walking around with the one, one thing they think the world is, and it's not that thing at all. <laughs> uh, and, and once you have been uh, unplugged from it and instead given the clear side of Christianity, uh, you can see and call it what it is. So rather than undermining the potential of a reality actually existing, which the book, the movie wanted to do, it wanted to make you think that you don't even know if you are really real and maybe it's all just a dream and all this kind of stuff. Like, no, it didn't do that at all. It amplified that there is a more substantial reality. No matter how many multiverses you posit, that makes a universe. And the God in charge of all of that has made it all look like it looks now in order to be who he is, which he has revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that changes the way that I see the matrix now. Just, just touch, right? I'm in here with a completely different viewpoint. The steak that I'm eating, is it really steak? Yes, it's not a computer program. But at the same time, is it just dust? Yeah, it's just dust. This word of God that I'm reading, is it just dust? No, it's not just dust. <laughs> it's gold. <laughs> it's gold, uh, everlasting, glory. Yeah. So uh, I think the matrix can open up that kind of imagination when you start to apply it, that that. Christ is Neo, the one who uh, broke into our reality in order to expose to us the web of lies and deceit by which we thought normal was normal. And in fact, we were just being stuck dead by the spirits who want to drag us down to hell with them. And having the unplug of regeneration in the resurrection of Jesus, knowing he is risen, <sighs> unplug, uh, puts you in a, a war not unlike it, where you got to understand the media ecology truth of you got to be in and out of that matrix. You don't live in it. And the more time you spend on this in your life, it's just talking to you, the less of your own mind you will have. What if it's all Christian stuff? Great. 
Great. Do you want your own mind to absorb the word and use it? It needs space. It needs... (laughs) I feel like a kook. It needs time. Space-time is, in fact, the substance of reality. (laughs) And, And for your mind to grow as God intended in Christ, in his words, while you suffer... Well, you got to be still and know that he's God at some point. And that means not getting more. It means, at the very least, if you're going to get more quietly with a paperback copy of the bestseller, right? Give yourself some of that. Translate some of that. And see if you don't understand why maybe the Matrix, like, it's not as cool as it feels. Yeah? So that's, that's I think that's a good, a good start on that. I think there's more you could do with this. There's so much in it. Um, but, I mean, and on this, you know... I have this idea of a video catechism for worldview development that, you know, as, as outreach, no, it's just, you know, you can learn from this stuff, even if you're not a Christian, don't become a Christian, but you might become a Christian through learning about this stuff from Christians, right? So like the idea that the matrix is really a way of understanding media ecology and how to break through its power over uh, the control of your life um, uh, through thinking better um, <laughs> uh, than, than the, the notifications, um, uh, that, that is a pretty cool thing. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll save it for that. I don't know if, if that'll ever come to pass, this idea. It, if it did, it would be in some sort of class, like locally, where I would show the movies and then we would just talk afterwards. I tried that in New Jersey way, way back in my mission planning days. Um, and it was okay. It was kind of cool. Um, didn't really do anything for the congregation. And at the time, if you didn't grow the church, well, then you weren't doing anything, apparently. Um, and that still is the attitude with a lot of people. Um, yeah. Oh, well. uh, so, did that help? I hope that helped. I feel like I could have done more on that. I kind of wanted to, but... Oh, maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe you'll ask me. There's another one, though, that's going to be... It's in the missed Super Chats. It's going to be in that direction, right? So, can we block this now? Let's get some broken action going on here. These are some missed Super Chats from last week. I'm sorry, I missed quite a few. I haven't seen any today. Did I upset y'all? Not the Super Chats are always that great. As you know, that you know, Google definitely takes a, ch- a, a piece of it. So, uh, Patreon support is my preferred manner. Um, they also do take a piece of it, but it always goes to the same place. And then I can rely on it to some extent uh, for budgeting and planning, all that kind of stuff. But I don't dislike the Super Chats. They make me feel very nice. So, um, you're welcome to, to help me in any way you like. Um, these are the leftovers from last week that I didn't comment on. So, uh, what, what does a Christian view on fiction say? Uh, is Arsant... Angel Fire, yeah. Arsene Angel Fire. I thought that was right. Um, what's the Christian view on fiction, particularly things like Harry Potter? Uh, growing up in my very, my very Baptist mother forbid Harry Potter. Uh, and I say it that way because my son has a copy of the audiobook. And um, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, she told me you couldn't do that, but you could do Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia and I don't know why. Yeah, hypocrisy is is, is ultimately the reason. Um, but let me let me talk about that. I want to come back and spend more time on that question. So let's do some of the other ones. Uh, Jenna Knight, Anakin Cringewalker says, uh, ever see the King's TV show where they recreated the book in modern times, like the book Kings, David and Saul? Um, yes, is my answer. Uh, Goliath is a literal tank. Yeah, I thought that was a clever thing. Uh, Dave and David stands up to the tank, but then they don't really play David like he has faith, which is sad. Um, uh, David living among the enemy was interesting. Yes, I thought it was very, very almost awesome. And yet just kind of not. Like it just, as a Christian, I was like, because I'm a Christian, I can see how this is awesome. But if I sit back and watch this as a show, oh, they canceled it. Uh, they, yeah, I, I was right. <laughs> it wasn't very good because it just, it just wasn't that good. And it's amazing because the, the actor that plays Saul, forgive me, but I, Deadwood, HBO series, I don't know that I can recommend it again, but I, he was amazing in that. 
He was un- unbelievably good in that role. And, and he was really terrible at everything else I've ever seen him do. And, and he just didn't win me as Saul at all. Um, and uh, uh, the David wasn't bad. It was, so the idea was, though, and this is what, you know, if you really want to hear my opinion on this, this is exactly what I think we should be doing all over the place. If you have any inkling to make art or anything Christian, do the postmodern loop-de-doo on biblical stories, particularly those about Jesus, but on biblical stories in general. So let me give you the one that I've been dreaming about since I was 18. I'll just set the stage. It was a movie, right? It's a movie. Think in, think in picture, picture format um, that you have like uh, it's, it's over uh, <laughs> a big city that's not burning with riots, right? This is a different time in history. Uh, there's like a, a cityscape and you can tell the city's alive and it's, it's kind of raining and maybe you see the bay, whichever one it happens to be or, the, or the, the lake or whatever that happens to be there and you're coming over it and you're also following the trail of this uh, young couple. Uh, they're Hispanic, Latino, Latina. Uh, they are in a, a, a small beat up car uh, with a non-registered plates and they're coming into the city and as they come into the city and it's raining and pouring there's lightning you see some stuff that looks a little dangerous out the window over there um, you realize that she's actually pregnant she's pregnant and, and they're trying to find their way and eventually they get into a, a kind of a rugged part of town uh, and, and they knock on a door and it's 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 their family in fact it's his extended cousins can you see where I'm going with this um, what if you told the whole story of Jesus like that translated everything Jesus said, so it's never exactly a verbatim quotes, but you actually had the conversation of an entire gospel just like that and did it in good American cinematography. You tell me that wouldn't be sweet, right? So, so your idea is, is saying that kind of thing is cool. Yes, it is. Uh, there was a Romeo and Juliet that was done that was so postmodernly weird. Leonardo DiCaprio's in it that it's almost like over the top. And yet that would be cool. It's kind of like a Godspell-y thing, but Godspell, Godspell was cool. And frankly, Godspell does have some good stuff in it. I'm not saying that, that Godspell is the answer. Do it better than Godspell, right? I mean, do, do it for real, you know, do it like you really know the stuff and, and don't just complain that other people didn't. Uh, so, so that kind of production, man, absolutely. The more that we can do it. I'll give you one more. It was another Shakespeare that was done this way. It was really well. Someone did Richard III in Nazi Germany, and it, it comes off so well. If you can ever watch that, it is probably my favorite Shakespeare production ever. And I, am, I was a lit major. So um, uh, I, I've read a few. Coriolanus, anybody? <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah, Richard III uh, as Hitler is an amazing production. This is from like the 90s. God, back when I worked at Blockbuster Video, I really did. Oh my goodness. Anyway, moving on. Uh, yes, they did take the story of David and Goliath seriously. They tried to follow the plot outline, though they messed with the characters quite a bit. It could have been really cool. Um, but I also heard people saying, you know, uh, they're doing the Book of Kings on TV and it's pretty good. And it's like, well, they're not really doing the Book of Kings on TV, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, anyone who wants to go find it, it's, it's a decent series. And you can see some of the, like, what we could do well. I mean, imagine if they had Christians really involved in that in, like, a, a clear way. Um, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Um, but uh, there are some things, which, uh, I don't know. So, North Mick also said last week, uh, have you considered the ascension into omnipresence could mean that Jesus is appearing bodily in the Old Testament? May not be pre-incarnate, but post-ascension. Well, now I have. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd say why not, but also, like, you don't know, and, and that's the point. So it, it, the pre-incarnate, pre-birth through Mary's womb in time as experience, son of God, right, was not eternally man. And so, 
Is he man from the moment of creation of man? Is kind of what your question will be by virtue of the ascension. Look, angels on heads of pins. It's cool, like great, but we can't say this with with any kind of precision. Uh, and so, um, what I would encourage you to say though, see, is that though your imagination is certainly free to 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 see that as a potential. Because, I mean, what are you going to argue about? Here's what we argue about, right? So Abraham's lying. Sorry, Jacob's lying by the Jabbok Ford. He's I think he's a coward. This guy's family set up to die. And, and he gets hit by some big guy who's going to you know, wrestle with him. And this is God, we know. This is the pre-incarnate son of God. This is the angel of the Lord. He sees God face to face. He lives. How does this work out? This guy's got a body of some kind that's able to make contact with Abraham in multiple ways, including putting his hip out of joint by smacking it with some, some eternal glory, like, you know, style, right? So, so he's got a body. Okay, so now we're going to argue over whether that body is, in fact, the flesh of Mary uh, and Jacob then, right? Um, through the, the miracle of who Jesus is. Or whether it is some other body he just kind of made up to discard while he waits, which is kind of the classic position. But like, are, are we really going to debate that? Or can we all just be like, well, one of those is right? <laughs> I mean, so, so yes. Yes. I love your question. And I'm being hyper cautious because of the tendency to then take such things that are uh, marvelous uh, ponderings of the mystery what you're doing is you're pondering the mystery and you're saying if it's, it's mysterious and maybe, maybe then, right? Just remember your, your limitations, right? Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not on your own understanding. I will say this. I've had the thought, and I'm happy to have it be wrong, that when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah are there, he's also on Mount Sinai at two different times in history, and Moses and Elijah are there. Um, does that make sense? Like when he's talking about his exodus, he's telling Elijah to go anoint Elisha, and he's telling Moses these are the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> like, and, and like that's what Peter and John are like. Whoa, we're going to build things here. <laughs> you know, I, I like to imagine it that way. Um, is that necessarily what happened? I don't know. But is it possible? Is God able to rip time and space just because He wants to? Yeah, that's because He's God. He made it. Raise His toy. Um, so, so yeah, cool. Love it. Lo- love the idea, at least. Um, thank you, Pastor Fizz, uh, the Gould family. Thank you. Um, so back to Harry Potter and fiction in general, and then we got another super chat in the side, and some more, at least one more question down below. Um, the question is, you know, what's the difference between Harry Potter and Narnia? Are we allowed to read fiction as Christians, and so forth? So here we go. Let me let me throw the gauntlet down. I'm gonna throw it down hard. Once once upon a time, I said this out loud in a social conversation with people who I thought would be like interested in this conversation, and it turned out very poorly. So, and it was not my my, my close family. Um, and uh, <laughs> it happens in my close family sometimes. I have I have bonkers ideas. Um, duh, 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 duh. But we were talking about fiction and writing, and I'm a writer. I write fiction. Like, it's what I want to do, right? So I thought that my comment would not be taken as somehow a negative, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, I said offhand, you know, all. Fiction writing is lying. All of it. There once was a man from Nantucket. Oh, wait. Can't use that one. Uh, Bucket and go home. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You... The stories that we tell, when we tell them as stories, are not always full truths. So by one sense, they're a lie. Even a parable that Jesus told, in one sense, someone might call a lie. Now, I'm going to use this word very carefully because I don't want to accuse Jesus of sinning. He's never not telling the truth. Clearly, Jesus believes you can illustrate something, right? You can illustrate it with a picture. 
with a set of words about something that isn't, but could be. A prophecy even, right? Now, I'm going to suggest that when the perfect man does that, there is no sin in it whatsoever. I'm also going to suggest that we, when we do it, there's always some sin uh, lurking around a corner somewhere. Yeah? Uh, and, and so in that then, just to recognize that fiction is of itself an incomplete thing. It is not the real song. Yeah? And it's not that it's necessarily bad, I don't think. At least not yet. <laughs> um, uh, but but it, is, it is secondary, right? Um, so, we're going to get into a discussion about which stories that are not true are we allowed to listen to. So I got to bring this back up so I don't forget what I'm talking about. <laughs> right? I'll put it over here. Which stories, Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia, that are not true? They're, they're in fact, total fibs. They are tall tales. I don't think that's necessarily bad. It just, it just means that they're not kind of on the same par as the word of God or even like fact. Right? There's a different kind of information um, and it should be treated as such. And so if you're going to ask the question now, in this information, which is all not true on some level, which ones are I allowed to read? And the moment you say one and not all of them, I'm just not sure how you're making that case. You see what I did? Um, so the way that you can engage these various stories, mythologies, false narratives, is only by virtue of your knowing the true narrative better already. And if you don't, you shouldn't. You know, I, I call that a weakness in my family right now. We're trying to rem- remediate that, but you know, we've always encouraged our kids to read, and so they have read a lot of books, a lot of books from the library. Oh, that one looks good, that one's good. My wife's pretty good about trying to make sure, you know, which what, which what. But at the same time, you know, how much of the not word of God have they read and how much of the word of God have they read? Well, oops. I better get on that, Jonathan. Okay, we did. We are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Smart Notes have made that easy. Hey, son, translate one proverb a day. I don't want to. Too bad. Do it. It'll make you a good man. Do you want to be a good man? Yes, I do. Okay, well, then do it. It'll work. Really? Yes. Go. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's quite something. So taking that approach and trying to have more truth than, than the fiction, I'd say it's like, like start number one with that. If you're going to even make the case we can read fiction, which I think we can. I do. But it's going to be because we know it's a lie. <laughs> and if we can't say that up front and say that in that way, all of it's dangerous in some way, uh, then you aren't mature enough to read it. Right? And so I would say that your mother meant well, hypocrite, as she was. It wasn't like it was an, an intentional hypocrisy. Right? She didn't try to be a hypocrite. She just didn't know how to protect you from the world. And thought that by drawing that line where she was, she could. And for all you know, since God put her there, maybe it was the right thing for you at that time. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that you should, should question that just out of hand. Even if the government does something wrong, sometimes God brings about good things through it anyway. Because Not sometimes, always. Because that's what he does. Right? So, so on that end then, um, as you move further into fiction and are trying to decide what can I read and what can I not read, you're founding it upon what you know the Word of God says. And what I would suggest is that you should, based on what you know the Word of God says, because you're always in it, you will know by a high discomfort when you're not supposed to be reading something. You're just going to be like, I don't like that. No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. <laughs> that doesn't feel good. I don't like what it says. I mean, I listen to lots of pagan music, but I don't listen to all the pagan music. I listen to everything anybody says. I listen to Eminem like almost every day, but only like two songs. 
over and over again. Why? Because they're really good. He says some amazing stuff, but do I really want to have everything he ever said be in my life? No, no, not at all. I mean, a little bit. So, so approaching it that way, um, stories, tales, conversations, uh, sound bites, all this stuff, are, they are gifts to us. But we have to know how to navigate them as separate from the Word of God. And then now the real issue underneath all of that. See, I'm, I'm playing at like a first principle level, and Harry Potter versus Narnia is down at like the, the like the playground level. Um, what you're arguing about is good magic, bad magic, which I would say you really just can't argue this. Uh, if you're going to be against what Harry Potter calls magic, then you have to be against what C.S. Lewis calls magic. Um, I think, I mean, he, he calls God's godness magic. Um, I, I don't know how, if you're going to be against magic the way you are in Harry Potter, you're going to be like, oh, but it's okay when we accuse God of doing it. <laughs> now, I don't have a problem with Lewis, what Lewis says, because I don't think he's talking about divination. God can't practice divination. He is the divine. It's the silliest thing in the world, right? So when he says magic, he doesn't mean uh, manipulating God against God's will, which is really what magic is, or manipulating the design of creation and the other spirits against God's will. Uh, that's what, what real evil magic would be. Well, how much of that's going on in Harry Potter? None. Uh, it's all fake. It's just complete. It's, it's lampoon. Well, it, it makes witches a normal thing. and No, it doesn't. They were already a normal thing. What it did was it made them a less normal thing. Now it's weirder. Now there's all sorts of weird witches. And they used to just be green faces and hats and stuff, right? But, I mean, we've been having kids be witches forever. So I'm not saying that's awesome, right? But, like, and then you're going to go and you're going to go into the fantasy of, um, uh, of C.S. Lewis. You get into his cosmic horror stuff, too. And, like, what he does is he plays with the old mythologies as if they're true. There's fawns. Fawns just exist because that's normal, right? Well, that's a pagan religion. Are you kidding me? Well, he, he, the question is, can he appropriate it and use it for good? And I say, yes, he can. Okay, so then show me in Harry Potter where this is actually going to be used to trash and tarnish the word of God. And now you have something going on. And now there's not much of that, but the disobedience of the kids is definitely there. The, 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 uh, the ends justify the means is a, uh, a mental strain that runs through Harry Potter start to finish. And I would say in a pragmatic age, you should expect that to be our virtue. And yet it's not really a virtue. And so you want to be careful of that. And yet at the same time, even though the ends justify the means is one of the major themes in Harry Potter, the sacrifice of the individual for the sake of the good of the whole is the dominant theme in every single book. And every single book, the Christ figure comes out. And one might even argue, as it has been argued, that she, as a very liberal Christian, nonetheless has enough symbolic imagery from the church she grew up in, in her mind, that she, in fact, paints Christ as symbol into every one of these things, whether aware of it or not. And so if you're going to make the case that Lewis did this, you really have to let her at least stand as a very poor version of it. <laughs> She's not trying to tell the Christian story. And yet, in this world of witches and wizards where they're doing all this stuff, they celebrate Christmas every year. Well, then he's risen from the dead, ain't he? You know, so, so whatever. They live in a fantasy world. Are Jedi any different? Can you watch Star Wars? It's no different. And as long as you know what the real truth is, it shouldn't be a problem, would be my answer to that, right? The question is, are you going to be more in the Matrix, or are you going to be more in the Word of Life? The Word of Life. Yeah? All right. I saw another super chat go by. And I saw my wife in the, in the comments there, too. That's nice. Uh, Cringe Walker says, again, I have a series of comments below, uh, but just leaving this for... Thank you for another great show. You are welcome. Um, with the series of comments, I'm going to let Frisbee pick that one up and roll it together maybe for next time, uh, unless I come back in just a moment. Let's see here. we got 10 11. we got 20 minutes left. 
Um, and I want to make sure I get, I think I can get to both of these. These are really important. Uh, they're harder issues, but, um, I want to make sure we touch on them. Uh, first, the tragedy of the commons. Um, if you had a lot of space that makes sense and it's great to be a steward with what we've been given for the sake of the neighbor. Oh, this is on my comments from a week ago about turning your property personal or church, uh, into something that is public. Uh, as a service to the community, not necessarily without making an income on it. You know, I mean, just just uh, enterprising your space to make commons that is not tragic, because the tragedy of the commons is the idea that publicly owned spaces cannot be cared for by the people who who enter them, that we trash them. And it's true. That's why you need public workers to take care of publicly owned spaces. And since it's not really public anymore, then is it? So well, in, in, a, in a time when publicly owned spaces are getting like burned, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we need to create some safe publicly owned spaces that are privately owned. Yeah. Uh, and that's the suggestion that churches could think in this way at this time and be very creative with their outdoor spaces, uh, especially in COVID weather this fall, uh, with creating some things that could just exist on the side, you know, as, as the community community is here. Now, your question is a good one, though. My question is, uh, would this end up contributing to the LCMS as social club idea? Well, it certainly could. You could also use that structure and mentality that's there to get it going, though, too. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, I think. Is that how it goes? Uh, he, he would go about, uh, how would you go about the middle ground between not doing anything at all and having your church be a club? Uh, you've probably answered these elsewhere, so point me in the right direction. Okay, so here's the thing. If and when I would ever have a group of people want to follow me doing this, and I'm trying to convince a group to move very gently in that direction now, just to, to trust that God has some plan and is on this land, and we're just going to kind of wait and let it come. Um, but if I were to do that, I would be very, very insistent that we understand that whatever we're building on this land that we're sharing is not church. And we really aren't doing it because we think they're going to come to church. I mean, people will come to church because people are going to come to church because the word of God is there. And when you're overlapping with them, it'll come out of your mouth. And yes, so people, but that's not why we're doing it. That's like a bait and switch tactic. This is about that we're actually here. And it's not so we can build a club for ourselves. We're here to serve you. So... The idea is that we would very clearly distinguish between those times when we gather for word and sacrament as people set apart and those times when, as people set apart, we show the world what we can do for them. You know, Saturday, Sunday, I know, so there's a lot to invest in it. I mean, for, for where I'm thinking up here, it would be, I'm hoping for like a 10-week spread the first year we do it. We'll get Saturdays for 10 weeks, something really cool going on, serves the neighborhood, hits a lot of needs in the area, uh, makes us a public space. Uh, no, 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 no. Just because you come to that does not mean you're a member of the church and can tell me what to do with the inside of the building. No, <laughs> you know, no, we're going to be who we are and, and say, look, you're welcome to come join us. We worship a holy God who's unlike yours. So, you know, it, I think that'll work eventually, won't it? It's the word of God. It's got to, you know, he will, he will grow us or he will prune us. Okay. On board. So, you know, you're right. The idea that we would keep our social club going is a completely dangerous problem. The idea that you would build a public square for the sake of the society, that's quite different than a private social club. Like, it's the opposite of a private social club. Yeah. So that's my thoughts there. How would I do this? I don't know, man. I've got two balls in the air. One's my congregation and a very slow conversation about how we are going to, I mean, we're, we, we've just stopped, 
a 12-year-long, 20-year-long financial collapse. We had our black budget for the first time in well over, like, you know, if, if 12 years. Um, and, you know, hemorrhaging $80,000 a year. Uh, we just found solid ground. And we're looking around and saying, okay, what do we do now? That's where we are. And I got all sorts of ideas, but I'm, I'm one guy. Right? And, and uh, nothing's going to get built alone. All of these things happen through conversation and, and ongoing uh, working together to trust and understand and see what we can see together. Uh, so that's one of them. And the other one is, I, honestly, uh, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna open a store in our, in our fuck yard. We're going to open a cafe next summer on our deck, I think. We got a lakeside view. I uh, got plenty of seating. And we're going to serve steak and eggs and coffee, I think, uh, at least four days a week, something like that. And you just come in and um, uh, we want to make our acre on the lake a, a place people can go and uh, enjoy public private space uh, without, you know, I'm not going to put up. Um, well, no, there'll be plenty of propaganda. It'll just be my propaganda <laughs> uh, sitting around. So, you know, how, how do you do that? Um, I'm doing that through a homeschool economy, right? So that's all going to happen because I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'll help. I'll think. I'll pick, pick up as it's going by, but I don't have to plan it and manage it, right? So if you have kids in school uh, and, and no teenagers, it, you know, maybe that's not the goal you need to have. But I share it for this reason. I share it because what you want to do is think about how to command your mammon rather than worship your mammon. You want to be able to take your mammon and risk it for your faith all the time, every day, not an uncalculated risk, not a foolish risk, and certainly not a risk that the Bible doesn't actually say you better take that risk. (laughs) But nonetheless, to realize that your life is filled with risk and the scriptures are full of antidotes that allow you to engage that risk with certainty and even in certain wisdom, knowing what the results will be. I've said it multiple times this morning. I mean, this is so true. Even if you are the most psychologically tormented person with swings that just absolutely destroy you, they are still temporary because they're temporal. I know you have reprieve now. We all do, at least a little, every time the word of God is on our lips. And then it's all going to pass anyway. And I know that while many of you who watch do experience some of that extreme pain, not all of you do. Many of you are quite capable of continuing to just fight with a very active life because the despair is not in you the way it's attacked others. So pray for them and pray for them back and forth. And then don't be afraid to pick up your hands where you are today and say, well, I'm not Pastor Fisk. I'm not going to do what he does, but I'm going to put the skin, my skin in the game of this religion. And I'm going to put my skin in the game of this neighborhood which means the one around my house and the one around the place where I eat Jesus. I'm going to somehow find a way to make that matter more than just throwing money at stuff. It's going to be part of my life in some way. In your home especially, but then your neighbors, right? How? How? Well, I'll leave that to you. It could be as simple as doing nothing different than you've ever done other than smiling at them. Right? So, you know, that's the idea. And as opposed to thinking of everything as private to keep for ourselves, Christians think of it as private to share. And I I encourage congregations especially to consider that uh, at this time when we're going to see a lot of people needing places to find comfort. Let's just say it that way. Um, All right. So uh, a super chat I looks like I missed from earlier. 
Ronox says this, uh, what if the reason there are so many lifeless and inhospitable worlds in the universe is due to the War of the Angels when the Third rebelled? Oh, that's fun. That's a very, uh, yeah, Fiske and Lewisian way of, of looking at the angelology. I'm just going to kind of counter with, I've always seen it as uh, all of that was necessary as it is, cruel and hospitable as it is, in order to hang Earth as it is, where it is. This is all based on the um, Privileged Planet book. W- worth checking out. It's also a documentary. Um, the odds of Earth in our universe is impossible. Like Earth is mathematically impossible. You can't have a planet that does this. It's impossible. So the ma- I mean, it's just math. You know, if you're a betting man, you have any idea how statistics and odds and ra- gambling and races go, like you, you don't bet that this thing exists. It's impossible. <laughs> and so that, based on that, no, I do not expect them to find a bunch of other living planets around. Why don't you ever hear about that, by the way? The guy used to, to work at like U of Arizona or something, and he was fired after, the, after his book that he wrote on this pure science. Anyway, they hate design so much. In any case, even though they talk about it all the time. So, so I'm not so sure that, um, but, but I like the way you're thinking because I love, I love the cataclysmic curse imagination, right? Like it was better than it is now and it's gotten bad. So when you find the bad and you think it's bad, you're like, well, it's the curse, I guess. Yeah, right? Sometimes though, we, we're, we're not such good judges of good and evil. Um, oh, shoot, there was one other thing I wanted to say about it, though. Uh, da, 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 what oh, oh, and so here would be kind of like my positive spin on that, too. So imagine that, like, Adam doesn't fall, and, and we're in this universe with all these kind of core worlds filled with stuff but not actually in, inhabitable themselves. Well, if we were to develop the ability to space travel with our own organically built spaceships made out of the life that we tend here on Earth, maybe all we would need is like a bunch of refueling stations, you know? And and since I believe in a progressively generated expanding universe, as, you know, time-space theory does, does teach, um, more or less, uh, you know, by God's word, he spoke and it came to be is where I would go with that one. Ain't no Big Bang. Um, <laughs> aside from, you know, he spoke and it came to be, uh, you don't have to ever worry about resources because if humanity expanded throughout the galaxy and throughout uh, the, the, uh, the the universe as it goes and found only but resources, we would be just fine, assuming that we had no sin and could, could fly on animals through space. So, you know, it, you, you don't like that idea, but you watch Voltron. I don't know what's wrong with you, right? Like, like you have to be able to say <laughs> your, your religion is better than all the silly stories we tell ourselves about this stuff, uh, Star Trek and whatnot. So... Um, but I like it. I like the way you're thinking. It, it's, it's in the direction of Christian imagination. And again, my, my, cav- my caveat is this, though, Christians. You cannot take those ideas and then tell people that's the way it is. You cannot. It must be, this is my pious imagination, and the Lord will reveal to me how it's actually better than this someday. I'm, I, I will prelude it by telling you I know I'm wrong, because I'm me. But the Lord has shown me this much. And he has sworn he will reveal the rest. And so if I am wrong in this way and how I understand it, so be it. I will learn the truth when the shepherd speaks it. So, so that attitude lets your Christian imagination have a lot of freedom. As soon as you get in the tit-for-tat legalism, you know, tittle upon tittle, lining it up, and we all got to be exactly like this because, and it's not just the Ten Commandments, <laughs> it's a bunch of other stuff. Um, and now you're, you're really building a secondary religion. Uh, tune into the sermons uh, this weekend for that one. Uh, so... Um, now, with only a few minutes left, we're going to go, this one's a little longer, longer, and it's tough. It's, a, it's about as tough as we're going to get anytime soon. I got to go on this side to see it. <sighs> Hold on. 
Let's go to a different different spot. We'll do this. All right. Pastor Fisk. I'm a happily married lady of 25 with two beautiful young sons, important as generally this is a man's issue. When I was 12, I stumbled into a niche written pornography on on the web. I'm not sure I know about niche, but right on. Very perverted kind. So a particular kind of pornography you're saying? Yeah? Okay. Um, there's a lot of different stuff out there, and it's weird. Um, uh, knowing it was bad, but attracted, right? And that's the problem with it. Okay, so right off the bat. Pornography is a drug. It, it's, it's evil in, in multiple ways. But like TV, which is already a drug, it takes that, and then it adds sex to it, which makes for a hyper-stimulation the moment you see it, even if that stimulation is, uh, it's hyper, right? Everything elevates, and that hyper-elevation is dopamine, and dopamine's a drug. And so once you see it, even if you've never seen it before, it has the potential to grab you in and pull you like face deep in the stuff immediately. Um, and this is then also true, as many know, for those who have been in it and gotten away and got pulled back in and gotten away and pulled. I mean, and you were 12. I was six. I was six. God help us all. I tried to ignore it, but continued to read Seymour occasionally over the next months and years. I became addicted. Now it's a full-fledged sexual addiction. Some life seasons I can easily say no. Others I feel utterly powerless to resist. Sounds about right. Especially when dealing with depression and exhaustion. Yeah, You get weak. Your ego, your willpower, your uh, decision fatigue gets weak. And yeah, you, you, put, you pour alcohol down an alcoholic's throat. He's not coming back from that, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, and you live in a world which is always throwing some version of it at you. It's taught you to see it. That's the other thing. It, it, it's so evil in so many ways. It takes the way you see humans and it reorients them so you only see them as objects. And it creates that reality. It creates like a narcissistic distance between you and the sexual se- opposite sex or the same sex if you're attracted to them. And it ultimately becomes about self-love um, because it's about watching yourself with what's going on in there as well. And, and it, it's just so diabolically evil. And it's got our hands on so many people. This is why I'm going to talk about it right now. Um, it's risky for me to talk about this, honestly. Even as much as I've said now, it's a great risk in the LCMS. Um, we, even though we're all saying, like, it's a real big problem, we should do something about it, but nobody will talk about it. <laughs> you know, it's, if the numbers are right, if the numbers are right, that we hear about all people watching born, uh, then this thing has got its, its just claws in so much of us as people, men and women, uh, and our kids. And again, so we have to at least talk about it, right? And the fact is, as you're going to confess, I think, that Christianity is sufficient in your marriage to continue to fight back and not give up. And, you know, um, can I say it? Hell yes. I mean, when it is against hell that you fight, <laughs> can you not invoke the curses of God I, in your head? I think you may. The Psalms are very good for it. In fact, I recommend using that kind of language. One of my favorites is, you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I will cut off your head. That's what David said to Goliath. I'm pretty sure I can say it to my sin. Nah, it's all right. So, uh, it's awful, though, what this is able to do to people before you even know it's done to you, and then you're hooked in it. It's like any other drug, right? The real gateway kind of stuff where it, it doesn't just, what, numb the pain, uh, but it leads to impulsive and dangerous behaviors. Yeah, that's, that's the real thing. Um, so, all right. And, you know, like a drunken man, a man in a drunken stupor uh, also would have an impulsive 
dangerous behaviors. Uh, so, uh, continuing on with your story, uh, it is a full-fledged sexual addiction. Yeah, we, we, got, we went through that part. Uh, rationally, I don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah, amen. Right? You sit, you sit there at the altar and you confess it. Right? You you, you pray to Jesus. You say, uh, "I would that I wouldn't." Uh, all that kind of stuff. Right? And and seventy-five percent to ninety-five percent of you out there listening to me have some experience with this in some way, guys for sure. So you know what this is talking about. This is a girl talking. So I know it's not just guys. This is a this is a assault the devil has put on our hearts and minds through the matrix. Through the same thing, right? You got to unplug this thing sometimes. If you really want to have self-control, you got to know how to be targeted when you go in and out. So that's all there, right? You don't want to do this, but you feel you must uh, physically, emotionally horrible when it's over. Yeah, because the guilt comes on you. Just go, bam. It's just like premarital sex, too. If you're a baptized person who has any belief in God and you have premarital sex, guilt is going to ream you. It's just going to take you on, right? So that's, that's the real reason not to do it, because then you're going to carry that into your marriage, all sorts of other stuff. So pornography creates that like a pattern in your life, right? And so it is, in fact, a form of mental slavery. It's, it, they have entrapped you in this. And I'm, I'm speaking against it not to condemn you. Jesus saved you. <laughs> uh, but those who cause the little ones to stumble, it's better that a great millstone be tied around their neck and they'd be cast into the depths of the sea. That's what I'm saying. So, uh, so my dear husband has set up Blocks on the internet, being aware of my problem is lovingly supportive. God bless him. But my mind is now so full of junk from over the years because it, it stays in there. It comes back out, right? The self-stimulation of masturbation, right? Is possible without seeing the content. I'd say that's better than the content. And God willing, over time, space, your mind will heal. Go to your husband instead. Knock on his door. Call him home from work. Read First Corinthians 7 and think about that one. Um, he's there for this reason. It's hard. I'm not going to tell you that's going to be easy. I'm not even pretending. But I'm telling you, um, if, if that's where you're at in the battle, the answer is your husband. Uh, private confession absolution has been the most helpful. Yes, it will be. Absolutely. Um, as well as practical Roblox. Yes. Talking with my husband and keeping busy, et cetera. Yes. The current season, I am not struggling and I'm very thankful. God be praised. I will say to you, those seasons do not have to ebb and flow like every rhythm there ever was. Right? Like it's always the same. They can ebb and flow longer and shorter. Uh, in fact, anybody who battles addiction in any arena knows that the clawing out is, is more of a step forward, step back, step forward, step back process. And if you've ever battled your sin and matured in your faith at all, you know this is the case anyway, right? On every single level. So it's always about coming back to the repentant reality that even though I just knocked myself down, Christ has risen. And so I'm going to stand back up again because I'm in him. And he says so. I don't get to deny that even though I just denied him. He will not deny me. The day that I deny that is a different problem. <laughs> okay? So, in the meantime, good. You're doing the right stuff. Question number one. Can I be forgiven when this is done intentionally? At times it is premeditated like Bathsheba even though I hate it. Yeah. So, here's the thing about that one. I'm going to say, like, when the, when, the, when the classic Lutherans talk about intentional sin... They're not talking about someone who is an addict being compelled by emotional overwhelm and spiritual discord into something that is self-destructive while saying, I don't want to do it. Please help me stop. <laughs> They're talking about someone who says, I don't care. I'm going to do it. Okay. That person sins against the Holy Spirit. The intentionality that the addict faces in this trial that you're describing is what we would call temptation. 
And is it possible for a Christian to fall into temptation and repent? Yes. What we say is that it is not possible for a Christian to love the temptation, to live in the temptation in such a way so as to desire to embrace it eternally. So even while your conscience is planning whatever you plan, and it all happens like that, the whole way you're like, this is not right, this is not right. Oh, I did it again, oh, I did it again, right? So, so you're, the Spirit's with you. The Spirit's with you. So yes, you can be forgiven. You are forgiven. You stand forgiven. You will not be unforgiven. That is, that is not the plan of God. Does he want you to do it again? Yes. Can you harden your heart by doing it again on purpose so that you hate him? It is possible. It's not what you're talking about though right now. You're talking about a heart that has just been constrained by the devil's evils against your will from a young age. True slavery. Makes me think of the, uh, the woman that Jesus heals on the Sabbath, who for so many odd years is a slave of God. Or not a slave of God, a slave, a slave of, of her diseases, a slave of the world. And he says, shall she not be set free on this day? And he sets her free, right? Now, now, I can't do that. I'm not Jesus. I don't have miracle power over the internet. But you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. You have the word of God within you. You know the truth which has set you free. And you stand in a time, a season of growth and strength. Why? Let yourself say, what about next time? Why not say, every time, forever, is Jesus. I know, no matter where my feet go, whether I succeed or fail in this temptation or another, he's got my hair in his hand, he knows every single one, and he's dragging me back out of the mud every time I fall down on any issue. And I got a manifold number of them, my own heart. Is he enough? Your Lord is more than enough. And he breathes that spirit into your weary bones with the promise that every time he will be enough. Even the promise that, over time, with distance, your prayer can be answered. Not that you would never be tempted again, but that you would be far enough away to be tempered rather than tempted. To not be driven by, by lust, but, but why, by its antidote. Which, you know, I haven't thought about that one as much. I've been thinking about fear and its antidote of rage, which is awesome. Courage. Um, uh, but then, um, what is the, I mean, the antidote to, to lust uh, uh, is really charity, right? It's the, it's the desire to make another feel well. The desire for your husband to feel well, Right? I'm not saying that's the magic pill that'll just flip everything. I'm saying, seek that for the next 10 years. Unplug from the matrix just a touch. Like, like really, like the whole thing. Turn off the, look at it this way. Can, can, I, can, can you believe me? Let's pretend you're addicted to heroin, okay? You're addicted to heroin. And like, you're able to like get far enough away that, you know, you have the small doses so you're not really an addict anymore like they do in Denmark. But then someone goes and starts putting like little bits of heroin in like your food. Just just tiny bit. I don't know. I don't, and heroin may not work this way. But, you know, a little bit of it, the poison back in your food. Just touch. You don't even know it's there. But over time, it starts to build. And then it, out it goes. Okay, so the dopamine rush that's given to you by a pornography experience combined with your orgasm is the same dopamine that the screen gives you every time you look at the screen in a smaller dosage. Twitter. So 
So I'm telling you, I, honestly, if you want to speed up the process of porn habit denial length, which is what you're working on, right? You're, you're working on instead of having small failures, having bigger and bigger ones in the hope that eventually you're going to be like, well, I'm out of it. Thank God. Okay. Keep on that path. In that path. Stand upon the knowledge that the gateway drug of the screen itself anywhere will build up those internal needs to have the release of the drug. And especially if you're going to pound it into a day. So what does that mean? Do you have to scare the screen while you work? Well, I mean, make it as white as you can. Get rid of the red. <laughs> you know, uh, and study a little on how this stuff does. It really, it impacts our, our, our emotions and our, our, um, our glandular system and everything is affected by this. And, you know, that's media ecology again, a very unstudied thing. We have no longitudinal studies on what it does to a, a culture over generations, any of that. That's what I find super fascinating. But then like this, like you combine that drug of just the screen itself, the brainwashing machine, the stupid TV, uh, and, and you combine that with this God-built glue, human glue, only you never glue it to anything. You glue it to the TV. And, and it is so diabolically wicked. And I share all of this because I know you want me to have people understand this too. That's why you're sharing it. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, it is just not talked about nearly enough. I don't know how to. I mean, in this day and age, I mean, we can't even begin to talk about legislation that, that would that would ban pornography. They used to in the 90s. In the 90s, they were trying to ban it. Anyway, um, God, 90s, unbelievable. Uh, continuing for you, question number two. Does God have any more mercy on chemical addiction than regular sin? Uh, such mercy may not be abused. So the sin of weakness versus the sin of uh, the high hand is what you got to focus on again. I mean, we've already kind of said this, but I'll say it again. You know, the Old Testament talks about the high-handed sin. It's where you're like, yeah, God, I got you. Yeah, whatever, right? That's not where you are. Have you ever in this said you don't care? <laughs> no, you're, you're totally like, you are sold out to hating your sin. That's, that's a pretty good sign. <laughs> like, pagans don't do that. <laughs> not usually, at least, right? And, and, or they do it without any concept that he has risen. So, let that be your consolation. He is risen, you are paid for. Yeah? So, um, does God have mercy on us? Sins of weakness, are different than the high-handed sin. No, God, I don't care, is different than I am weak, Lord, help me. Ah, I died again. And again, the, those who would like to point their finger at pornography as a particularly wicked sin have a leg to stand on in terms of what it does to the body and the mind. But in terms of like those people who are addicted to pornography or alcohol or sugar or whatever, coffee, whatever other drug you have, they're worse people. That There's just no place for that. There's no place for that in God's mind. We're all like addicted to idols. And some of them kill our bodies faster than others. Uh, the issue is not whether or not you need things in creation. It's, it's whether or not they're destroying you, right? The thing that in pornography is being made evil is a good thing. Sex with your spouse, children and offspring coming from that. So it, it's not... As though the evil which makes that good thing corrupted in you can't be saved by Jesus, or it can't, you can't be saved from it by Jesus. That's what's happening. You're watching Jesus save you from it. You're explaining how he is saving you from it. We want Pentecost, magic superpowers, first day. No. You are a seed planted in good soil, and you are going to grow very slowly, and then you're going to have all sorts of branches get clipped off. And you're going to get grafted more and more into the root that is Jesus. 
and you're going to imitate him as you imagine a life under him. And he will make your chains fall away in such a way that they never rouse their heads. I can't promise you that. I know how long it's been for me. And I know I don't want it to be again. And I'm not stupid enough to think that I can guarantee that. But I do know that when I stop believing, I am going to get out of it because the Lord says so. Wow. Well, then I'm not going to get out of it, am I? So I just have to believe the Lord's going to pull me out of it. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. Straight up. Write that one down. That's for you, H. Write that one down. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Titus? Not sure. You're going to Google it. Pretty sure it's in a Titus. So write that down for you. Say it every day to yourself. It is true. Disbelieving that it's true is the path to falling back. Believing it is true, even if you fall back, is the path to not falling back. Faith alone. It's amazing stuff. I'm not kidding. Uh, Any other practical advice? Matrix. Turn off the white noise. Smart note with paper and pen about your problems. Read a book on um, self-authoring. Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life is written for men. Read it anyway. Uh, Apply it to yourself. Uh, Do the homework, as he says to do it. Uh, Make it about how you intend to be... Pick your favorite faithful woman in the Bible. Com- uh, uh, find all the Bible passages about her. Use them as you you smart note, uh, or you take notes on, basically. Take notes on and then take notes on again. Jordan Peterson's new book, 12 Rules for Life. Apply it to your imitation of someone in the Bible besides Jesus, who's a woman. And then you might as well just throw some Sermon on the Mount in there, too, and a lot of, oh, a lot of, a lot of Jesus. Read some Jesus words. Put it in a big pile. Read it to yourself over and over again. Study who you want to become with the Word of God. And trust that Jesus is enough, because he is. He is. Thank God for your husband. What a good man. Cheers to you, sir. Cheers to you. Help her. That's why you're there. All y'all. Right? But I want other women and men who might be struggling to hear what a faithful pastor has to say on the issue. I hope I I am. According to certain rules, I've even said enough now. Kick me out if you want to. I admitted, I know when the last time, I guess, I guess I, I could say the last time was before I was ordained. I'll go right. I'll just say it. Go ahead. Bring, bring the charges if you want. Nope. Nope. I slipped up after I ordained. Yep. Yep. Been a while though. And I, not going to happen again. Well, then again, I know it could, right? The battle we just talked about. So, but this is the threat you know, in the LCMS. What I just said, I, someone could watch this video. They can bring charges on me. I can be defrocked as long as I admit that it happened. As I continue to admit and say, oh, I was lying. I was telling a story. Right? Well, they probably let me stay in then. <laughs> I'm lying on TV. Right? <laughs> like, that's worse. Uh, but they would they'd be, oh, that's okay. Then. Um, because the way that the system works is more about politics than it's about truth ever. And so, you know, whenever that would come through our system, it would, it would just be uh, about obfuscation in the first place. Because clearly what we're talking about here is not wallowing in sin, but getting out of sin. It's not allowing the sin to dominate us, but to dominate it. It, it is not allowing it to reign in our mortal bodies, but to command our mammon. Right. With what we know to be true and to just believe that God's sufficient to bring us out of it, even if he didn't bring us out of it. Well, I shouldn't say that way, even if we stuck ourselves back into it today. So in that regard, you know, I pray that you have heard what the faithful pastor has to say. I think as one who hates it, as you do, and who would, that it could be gone uh, because of the torment it has racked on my conscience and my relationships over a lifetime. Uh, you know, I, 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 I will say it as I have said it for that same reason. Because if we just stay silent on this, it's going to keep eating our young men. It's going to keep doing it. And young women too. Which, 
the research has been saying it's 35% of women, I think. It's like 85% of men, 35% of women. Weekly. Right? Weekly. At least once. Often. Sometimes. <laughs> Are you ready for that one on Saturday morning, everybody? Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Let's close today with... Betachal Christ, Bekalivda, Al Binathda, Al Tishaim. Trust in Jesus with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I, I, I wrote a poem. I wrote it before. I rewrote it yesterday. I Instagrammed it. I told my son about it. I told my daughter about it. I told my wife about it. Here's the poem. Fathers, tell your sons they are John Connor. If you don't know that story, it's not the Matrix, it's the Terminator. Terminator is a machine sent from the future to kill the human who will save mankind in the future from the machines. And following him, another human is sent back who is to save the mother who's to be killed before she is impregnated with the future leader, uh, is to save her. That man happens to also be the father of the man because they fall in love and the boy is impregnated in, in the woman during the story. It is uh, adultery. So that's a story. Um, and then he dies. But he dies, and she and they together are able to kill the machine, so she's able to bring the boy to term, who will then save the world. I, can, can you hear? There is so much Jesus in that, just right there. But um, aside aside from that, fathers, tell your sons they are John Connor. John Connor's that boy. What did she tell that boy growing up? She told him, everybody doesn't see what is. What is isn't quite here yet. But I see it. And you can too. Christianity is the real one of that. My friends, you are John Connor. He is risen. You are paid for. Free book coming out on Monday. Sign up, share it, forward the subscription to your friends. You want people to read this book. It's going to make you comfortable and confident talking about Jesus. Uh, into the white noise, wherever you are, willing to unplug the Matrix so that you might learn Kung Fu and go back into the Matrix and go ha ha ha, and then have your life continue to be one built upon the Word of God and not the notification system of the devil. My friends, please enjoy your Saturday. Do not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Thank you for tuning in. Support me on Patreon. Sign up for the newsletter. There's so much more I could say, but we'll just go with don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Lift up your eyes as you see the day approaching. Yar. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? (laughs) 